4: Bennington's having some words over there with the bench of the Minnesota Wild. And he's just trying to stir things up. Pennington had it come off his chest. But as he leaves the net, Minnesota gets it. Backdoor. Shoot score. Hartman. And, and here, it we is, go, here we, we go. Out. Here we go. Here we go. And Pennington's going after Hartman Alex. with a it's step. tough
3: sometimes, you know. I you know, I'm not gonna sit here and say, well, he should just take it. I mean, something for me needs to be done.
4: And here we go. Here comes Fleury. Fleury Fleury's Bennington. coming all the way down. Fleury, Fleury looks at Bennington.
3: And alignment won't let Fleury get in on Bennington. Bennington was willing to go. Now, it's already been pretty heated. And that's why Marc Andre Fleury was on edge the entire time. And right when Bennington makes that collision with Hartman, a hard blocker right to the schnoz, then Marc Andre Fleury's going to skate the distance 180 feet. I it's- wish Breezebot
4: Galloway would have just let him go. I don't care
3: what anyone says. Fighting belongs in the game. Love it! <laughs> Take a breath. That was. <laughs> <it>. <laughs> 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 no
1: way oh you gotta love it that was biz last night on the broadcast on tnt alongside alex ferrario and tater and i'm brandon Kylie. it's our favorite time of the year it is ncaa tournament time but more specifically it is alton time ladies and gentlemen we are live at max in downtown alton illinois we'll be broadcasting here the next couple of days as the ncaa tournament kicks off coming up here in about 15 minutes or so but we got to start with jordan bennington last night I, I already know what people are thinking, Alex. They're probably thinking to themselves, oh, here we go. BK's going to be frustrated by his antics once again. Uh-uh. Not anymore. The games don't matter. None of this matters. And so, yeah, that was just fun. It was fun to watch him lose his mind on the ice. I wish they would have allowed them to fight. I was sitting there on my couch ready to eat some popcorn as I watched two of the great goalies in the game go after one another. Alex, I know you were enjoying it because you love all of Jordan Bennington's antics. What did you think last night as you were watching I
5: couldn't believe we were about to see a goalie fight. I looked it up after they didn't allow it, which ruined my hopes and dreams. Uh, Last year we had one in the playoffs, which I completely forgot about. Um, (laughs) But prior to that in the regular season... It was 2013, the two goalies fought. Really? Yeah, it was Ray Emery, who was playing in the league still, who was in a fight against uh, Braden Holtby, surprisingly. So uh, we got robbed of that, which is just ridiculous, but... In terms of Bennington, and believe me, I saw it last night. I was already prepared to get fired up on the show. I'm so happy we started at 11 o'clock well, to open T-bone things hasn't up. Talked yet. Yeah, T-Bone's going to get me real angry. I can already tell. But I loved it. I loved the fact that somebody had a little bit of pissed-off attitude into it because it was so frustrating how different two periods were. I texted you guys. After the first period, I'm like, damn. The Blues team looks good. Yep. They're playing well. You against were ready the, for a playoff. Right? I was ready for a Stanley Cup championship. Yeah. Never lose doubt, T-Bone. But then the second period opened up, and it's like the Blues just stopped playing again. It was just boom, boom, boom. Just two. It was a minute and 58 seconds it took for Minnesota to score three goals. And then Buchnevich ties it up, and then the worst goal to give up from a defense took place to give Minnesota that one goal lead. And then... It already felt like fireworks were going to go off in that second period, but when Ryan Hartman ran into Jordan Bennington intentionally, unintentionally, how you want to look at it, that was the last straw. That was the straw that broke the camel's back with Jordan Bennington, and he said, I'm done with it. And what was really frustrating for me was before Bennington came out of his crease, watch the replay. There were three of your teammates standing around that. Justin Falk looked like he was about to go towards him, and then he just turned around. And Bennington just said, Blanket, I'm going myself. And I'm okay with that. Craig Berube was okay with that. I was okay with that. And, of course, everybody else sees it and calls it antics. T-Bone, get me fired well, it was up even antics. more. Like
2: Whether you liked yeah. it or not, it was definitely antics. Of course T-bone. it was antics. Why'd you hate it? I, the reason I had an issue with it was – and, look, this is the first time I've really had issues with Bennington's antics. He was bumped into accidentally. I didn't see a reason to go out there and lose his you-know-what and go after the Minnesota player – I, I thought it, you know, I, to me it was one of those where it was just Bennington being Bennington and at this point of how, how bad this team is. I don't want to watch that. I I mean I don't really want to watch him right now you don't anyways. Like fun. But you don't like fun? I, I I didn't want to see Bennington do that. I mean right now it's just about performance on the ice and Bennington is just losing his mind by a guy accidentally running into him. And I know the blues and Craig Ruby were sticking to it post game saying, you know, oh well they ran into him into the crease. He was not in the crease when he got hit, and when he got bumped. He was out of the crease. So I, I just didn't like it. You know, I understand Bennington gets frustrated sometimes. But last night was the first time that I've really been like, okay, I, I'm tired of the antics. I'm tired of seeing. It. I'm tired of it being a storyline. I'm tired of coming in the next day and talking about it. I, I'm just done with it. And, and if they were a good team, it would be even more frustrating if this was in a playoff push. But there was no need for it last night. And if you're gonna show, you're gonna show those kind of antics. I'm sorry. Look, I don't think Bennington's the problem, but your numbers have to show. Your numbers have to show on paper to where the national media says, hey, he's been playing well. He can, he can do that kind of stuff on it, it game-in, game-out n- night whenever he needs to do it. I don't know. I, I just felt it was frustrating to watch it last night to see him lose it again in a scenario which again, not completely his fault, but I, I don't I'm tired of talking about Bennington's antics.
5: Yeah, I I I saw it to where Ryan Hartman was do the entire Minnesota wild team was doing what they knew they had to do and get underneath Jordan Bennington's skin. And they were doing it in the first period, and it looked like Bennington kept it together pretty well. And up to that point I mean, Bennington was making desperation saves while the defense was standing there watching the puck just float around in the crease. And it just, you can look at that and say, well, he just accidentally bumped into him. Ryan Hartman has done it before. Ryan Hartman is that type of guy. And you could tell what he was doing. He was trying to get to Bennington where it looked like it was the celebration And that's where Bennington lost it. And that's what Craig Berube said. He said, look, I'm fine with the guy defending himself because you bumped into his crease. Jonathan Quick used to do this with the LA Kings, where if you would touch him, he would lose his mind. And everybody in St. Louis hated it because Jonathan Quick was that jerk. And to the point, I mean, I don't disagree with you, T-Bone, because yes, the numbers do need to back it up. I mean, Bennington's 893 save percentage doesn't look great when he's doing that on the ice. But to people that were tweeting it, like I saw our good buddy Greg Wachinski, who decided to take it right to Twitter. Everybody nationally hates everybody nationally hates Jordan Bennington, hates so Jordan funny Bennington. To me now. <laughs> but like uh, the biggest thing for me was watch that game. The 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 puke point for Jordan Bennington was that fourth goal. He made three saves, lunging across the crease. Oscar Sunquist was standing in front of the net with two defensemen on him. He took three whacks at that puck without a defenseman pushing him away and scores the goal. Like, if you're Jordan Bennington, you get to the point where you say, what else am I supposed to do right now, guys? And I think he just hit his breaking point, which to me, the antics in the Pittsburgh game, that was unnecessary. That was Jason Zucker going down there and Bennington just losing his mind. Those are antics. And I can understand this last night. It was Bennington saying, nobody else is going to defend my crease for me, so I'll do it myself. All
1: right, so I've got a few thoughts. One reaction to what you just said there, Alex. You said the entire Wild team was trying to get under Bennington's skin. That's what they wanted to do. You're absolutely correct, and the reason why they're trying to do that is because they know they can. And so Bennington has put himself into a position now where other teams – When the games start to matter again, they're just going to continue doing this stuff. And not a whole lot of them can take advantage of that the way that the wild can and have because they have instigators and they've got guys that can take care of their own business. Like they're not afraid to start some stuff because they're also not afraid to finish whatever comes out of it. And so the Minnesota wild are uniquely qualified to do such a thing to Jordan Bennington. That being said, yeah, of course, everybody's going to talk to him. Of course, they're going to try to get under their skin because they know it works And sometimes Bennington is able to channel that in the right way, and it ends up working out well with him playing his best game as a result of it. We saw it against the Minnesota Wild last year in the playoffs. Sometimes it spills over the way it did last night. I don't care about it right now because these games don't matter. In fact, they do a little bit matter. And last night was good for them that they lost. Now they are at eighth in the standings right now for the NHL draft lottery. That's what really matters. You want to keep working your way up that ladder. T-Bone, you said right now it's about performance on the ice. I don't think it is. <laughs> I, it's I evaluation think.
5: on the ice. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, but, but you're not evaluating Bennington at this point anymore. I,
2: can we can we have an honest assessment of Bennington? And though I don't think he has been he's the been problem. He's been great this season. He's been good at some point I have to see numbers to back it up because but what whether numbers, you think he's been good or bad the last two years, the numbers aren't there but what for what Last
5: year was a different, I agree. Last year he was not good. But what numbers do you need to see back up? I mean, the goals against average and save percentage are like plus minus right now for defensemen. Like you could look at it and say that's awful, but – Take into consideration the plus-minus when there's the empty net goals, Take into consideration all of the backdoor tap-ins and the guys standing around watching players take point-blank shots on Jordan Bennington. Guys, you can put Patrick Waugh and Marty Brodeur in net with this defense right now. They're not making the saves. Jordan Bennington can't make those saves.
1: He can't make all of them. I do think there are some that, like, I, I think there comes a certain point in time where Benner has been a part of the problem. I don't think he is the problem by any stretch of the imagination. There have just been moments where it's like, eh, I think this season's kind of got to him. I think it's gotten to everybody. I think there are moments where the forwards are like, eh, none of this matters. The possessions aren't as important as they once were because we're not going to be able to make up for it anyways. Um, so I I do think there are moments where t has got a, a point and Bennington has been part of the issue. If you're just looking at high danger save percentage this year, He's 60th in the NHL among 70 NHL goalies that are qualified. It's not good. It's not what you want. It's bottom 10 in the NHL. That being said, for me to sit here and say, like, he's been a, a big part of the problem, I think you've got, like, 10 other guys that I could point to before Jordan Biddington. Last night, though, getting back to specifically what we saw, I thought Sarah Nurse, who was on the broadcast last night for TNT, she was part of the pre-, post- and intermission um, show Sarah that Nurse. they've got. First of all, she was fantastic. Yeah. Second of all, I thought the way that she described this entire scene is the same way that I would. Here's Sarah Nurse on the broadcast.
2: If I'm showing a hockey game to a non-hockey fan, a doubter, I'm showing them that 20 minutes of hockey because that was absolute chaos from start to finish. There's six goals in the period. You have a fight. You have all of these penalties.
1: I thought that was the perfect 20 minutes of hockey. I was like Biz, Six, six goals, eight penalties. There was it, it was like, you know, that movie... Um, Everything, everywhere, all at once. That was last night's game. That was the middle 20 minutes of the game. It was amazing to watch. It was highly entertaining. The Blues ended up getting the result that they, frankly, needed, which is a loss. Yes, they did give up eight goals, and it was the first time that that's happened to the Blues on home ice. Uh, Second time, excuse me, in the last 25 years. It's not a statistic that you want to see happening. They have now given up at least five goals in a game 25 different times this year. They gave up five goals or more 21 times in the last two years combined. So, again, it's not what you want, but this is a statement of where the Blues are at right now as a hockey team. They're not very good. They're not competing for anything meaningful. And with the Jordan Bennington stuff, if that happened in a meaningful game, and I think that it probably can and will happen eventually in a meaningful game again. I'd be frustrated today because he get, him getting bolted for, or getting kicked out of the game essentially lost you that game or at least removed any chance of you having to win. but because these games don't really matter right now, it's hard for me to get upset about anything that we yeah
5: watched. and see matter or not matter. that game was already lost when Bennington did what he did because. And I I believe he read the room in that circumstance as well. It was like – it was the – Uh, Arizona Coyotes game, if I'm not mistaken, that Clayton Keller goal, where Jordan Bennington, it was that odd man rush, and Joey had the great breakdown of just his body language. That game was lost when that goal went in.
1: So I I think there's some truth to what you're saying, but Bennington has not earned the benefit of the doubt for me in terms of him being able to keep his composure. So I don't know if that would have happened if it was a meaningful game or not. My guess is it probably still would have. And so if you're somebody that's leaning on the T-bone side of things, that's probably where the frustration comes in, is that this has happened repeatedly. But – Again, <laughs> I have a I really just, hard time getting overly worked up yeah. about any of it because, like, the, the rules are made up. Nobody knows the score. And at the end
5: of it, we're just all hoping for Conor. Look, if anybody, yeah, that's very true. Or Fantilli. We can mess around sure. for Fantilli right now. Um, if you're going to be upset about anything, and to T-Bone's point about this being an evaluation period, be upset about the defense last night. Be upset about that evaluation. And I'm not talking about just the defense. But I'm not talking about the five-man unit. You know how many guys were left unmanned and undefended? That Ryan Hartman goal that stemmed Jordan Binnington to lose his mind? Go back and watch that replay. He was by himself to take a shot and then get his own rebound. Oscar Sundquist I talked about all alone. If there is an evaluation period for Doug Armstrong, it's defensively right now. And watching that game last night, watching those five goals, three of them scored in a minute and 58 seconds, Army had a comment at the trade deadline where he said, our problem this season has been when things snowball, they, we can't stop it from getting out of control. Last night was a perfect example of that figure out how to stop that because Jordan Bennington, although he lost his mind, nobody was able to stop that snowball.
1: He's Alex Ferrario. That's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. We are broadcasting live today from Max in downtown Olton, Illinois. Come on by, say hello, grab yourself some drinks, watch the NCAA tournament in about 15 minutes. We'll break that all down, the whole situation with Jordan Bennington alongside Joey Vitale. But coming up next, we continue our NCAA tournament breakdown with the south region there is the first game that has already tipped off in the south we'll discuss it break it all down coming up next year on 101 espn
0: we're right back to the BK and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn
1: to break down this tournament with the south region it is already underway we have our first game that has tipped off in the ncaa tournament and the first round of the tournament that is we are now going into the south region guys and this is gonna be a fun one it is headlined of course by Alabama, who ended up winning the SEC tournament, took down our Tigers. Arizona is the two seed in this region. You've got a three seed of Baylor, and the four seed in this region is Virginia. Yes, of course, this is Missouri's bracket as well. We'll break this thing down top to bottom. The game you're most intrigued to see in the first round of the South
5: region, Alex Ferrario, is what? M-I-Z, baby. Mizzou versus Utah State. I think that's the most intriguing game out of this entire uh, region. You have two of the exact same teams. And we talked about this last week, where the only difference is you've got a little bit deeper of a bench for the Missouri Tigers than you do Utah State. Both teams live off of the three-point shot. Utah shoots it a lot better. Both teams have a solid starting five. This is going to be the most entertaining game in the South region, so that's mine.
2: I agree with that. Just to go a little bit differently, I, this College of Charleston game versus San Diego State I think is gonna be fascinating. I truly believe the College of Charleston's a really good basketball team. They got a bit of a tough draw. They are deep. They've got five guys that average double figures on a nightly basis. And then you look at San Diego State, they're really good defensively. So I'm intrigued. I do have San Diego State winning this, but I do think the College of Charleston is going to give them a test.
1: You guys talk about styles making fights, Alex. That's what makes it so much fun between Utah State and Missouri. Another one of those, and it's kind of in the opposite way, is Furman versus Virginia. I'll get back to this game in a little bit, but I love – Furman in this one going up against virginia and the reason why is because they play with a little bit more pace and they are incredible at converting their inside shots into successful opportunities they're number one in the country Furman is in two-point field goal percentage they're all right at three-point shooting as well they've got an opportunity to to be able to take it uh to virginia that way and they take care of the ball as well as just about anybody in the country I like Furman a lot going into this region. I think they are going to be able to pull off an upset against Virginia, and so I'm going to be paying attention to that game, and that's where we get to next. Alex, the most likely first-round upset for you is who? I've got
5: Furman over Virginia. Who do you have? Corpus Christi over Alabama. Of course. That's fake news right there. No, I have NC State over Creighton. Now, NC State sucks defensively, but NC State has a ton of playmakers, including their big man, so – I think NC State, if they can go on a little bit of a run, if they can force Creighton to turn the ball over, which I don't think Creighton turns it over very much, but when you have three playmakers like NC State does, uh, I think they can come away with that one. So they're my upset pick.
2: I I like the Furman over Virginia one. I I like it too, because they're such a good three-point shooting team, and Virginia likes to slow down the pace of games and if you get them out and running, you're going to take advantage of it. I, I think they are going to go, I think they take down Virginia. They're always a the team that I don't buy into because they play that slow style. Any team that likes to play slow and rely on their defense typically runs into some issues during some games in the NCAA tournament. I've got Furman taking down Virginia.
1: All right, I mentioned mine already. I've got Furman over Virginia just like T-Bone, your sleeper team to come out of this region. Alex, I'll start things off on this one because I'm going the homer route. Me it's Missouri. <laughs> I don't think they're actually going to do it. But if you're looking for a team that can come out of this thing, that's a six seed or worse. I-, I think it's Mizzou because of the style that they play. It's really difficult to prepare for Missouri style. And it's why I think they have a real chance to be able to beat Arizona if they get out of the first round against Utah State. Arizona will have less than 24 hours to prepare for the defense that Missouri plays. And if Mizzou gets out there and gets out front early, they're hitting some shots. I I think that's a really tough task for Arizona to be able to keep up with. So Mizzou would be my outside-the-box
5: team that could potentially make it. Who's your sleeper team, Alex? I I wish I could go something different, but I don't. I I have Mizzou getting to the uh, Sweet 16. And I, I don't know what happens after that, but I'm with you. If you get past Utah State... I think they can beat down Arizona, and it really just depends on who you see, if it's Baylor, if it's NC State, if it's Creighton. I mean, in all reality, you get through Utah State, I could see a path to the Elite Eight against Alabama. So, I mean, I hate to go the same as you, and I hate to go for, to, to go um, Homer here, but this is about as chalk of a region as I have on my bracket, but I, I do have Mizzou getting to the Sweet Sixteen.
2: All right, you're going to hate me for this. You have
5: Utah State, don't you? It's the Aggies oh, for me.
2: That I, is I think whoever gets out offense. of that game has a chance to. I, I agree. I, because both they are literally the same team, essentially. Yep. So I, I think whoever wins that game has a chance to take down Arizona and go on a run. I've got Utah State going all the way to the Elite Eight running into Alabama. I, I think that high-powered offense, I always lean towards taking teams that can hit shots and hit three-pointers. I think that's what's going to propel Utah State or Missouri. Missouri wins that game. I can see them going on a deep run.
1: Because nobody else mentioned them, I'll go ahead and get to it. Uh, Creighton is a team that should not be discounted. Creighton has had a very good season this year. They've got some big-time wins over big-time programs. They've also had some very close calls against other significant programs. They beat Arkansas earlier this year. They were able to beat Providence. They beat Xavier. They beat UConn. They've got big wins. They've been in big-time games. Creighton is a team that should not be discounted. I know it says a six seed next to them. You look at some of the more advanced metrics. They're one of the top 15 teams in the country, depending on which ones you're looking at. So Creighton is another one that is worth keeping an eye on. Who's the team that you're most confused by? You look at them and you're like, man, could lose in the first round, could get to the final four. I'm not sure what to do with them. T-Bone, let's start with you. Who do you got as the confusing team?
2: I, I Mine's Baylor. I, I don't know if I'm really buying into Baylor because – I look at their path, and they have defensive struggles. They've struggled defensively at times this year, and I think they can win their first-round matchup, but I've actually got them going down to Creighton in the round of 32. I think they lose there. They confuse me because offensively they played in a really tough conference and they hung well in there, but with defensive struggles, that can catch up to you in the NCAA tournament. I find them puzzling because I think they could be out in the second round or they could potentially get to the final four.
1: They are Gonzaga of the Big 12. Like, they're excellent offensively, defensively. They've got their issues, and it almost felt at times like they were floating through the season, especially early on this year. So I, they are a confusing team.
5: Alex, who do you have? So Baylor was one of my confusing teams. I actually have a couple of them because Virginia's another confusing team for me. But I'll say Arizona, mostly because you're a two-team or a two-seed, and you look at this and you say, I could see Alabama and Arizona meeting up, but we just discussed that. Arizona, I feel, is going to have a very tough task against Mizzou or Utah State. And that's why they're so confusing for me, because being a two seed taking on potentially Alabama in the lead, Eight makes a lot of sense. But I can also see Arizona going home in that second round.
1: Mine is uh, actually going to be San Diego State. T-Bone, you mentioned that you've got Charleston as a team that could pull off an upset in the first round. I agree with you. And part of the reason why is because I don't really know what to do with San Diego State. They have a good profile, but when they play quality opponents, they lose every time. They played against Arizona, lost by 17, played against Arkansas, lost. St. Mary's, lost. Uh, they ended up playing against a couple of the teams in their own conference and had some success, especially against Utah State. They lost against Boise State, too, though. Like, the best teams on their schedule, every time they saw them, they lost. San Diego State's a good team. I don't know how good they are, though. They, I, I think they get past Charleston. I've got them losing to Furman, though, in that second round because I just don't trust San Diego State. So they're a team that could end up going on a run losing that first round. Final thing here, who's the team that you think is actually going to make it out of this region? Alex, who do you have coming out of the
5: south in the final four? I hate to be chalked, but this is it. It's Alabama. Same. I don't see anybody stopping Alabama all the way up to the final four, and frankly, I can see I have Alabama being in the championship round. I think they had the most advantageous run or their, their layout
1: in any uh, of any of the w- number 1 seeds. I don't think they're going to have any issues with Maryland or West Virginia. Any of the 5, 4, 13, 12 seeds coming out, I can't see them beating Alabama. I think they easily work their way to the elite 8 and then it's really just a question of are they able to beat whoever comes out of the bottom half of that region.
2: It's Alabama for me too. I I think they are the best all-around team in this NCAA tournament. They can score, they play great defense, they can protect the rim. I I have them coasting through this as well. I I think they're going to be the team that ends up getting to the final four and just kind of a sneak peek. I got them winning the whole tournament. I I think they are that good, even though they have some off-the-court issues. They are the – deepest team in the tournament in my opinion
1: coming up in 15 minutes we'll get to questions and answers 314-3999-646 is the air comfort service text line for any of your questions but coming up next Joey Vitale he's the blues analyst for 101 ESPN he was on the call last night as Jordan Bennington lost his mind once again what's Joey have to say about Benner's antics we'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN with
0: threats to our nation waiting around every corner adaptability is more important than ever when conditions change without notice
1: With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We are broadcasting live from Max in downtown Alton. It is a beautiful place to be. It is a beautiful sight to see as everybody's taking in the first game action. West Virginia already up 13-4 to against Maryland in the 8-9 uh, matchup between those two teams. About 11 and a half minutes to go in the first half. We'll continue keeping you updated with all of the latest on the NCAA tournament right here on 101 ESPN. But right now we're going out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity lineup be joined by our friend and the blues analyst for one one ESPN. He's Joey Vitale joining us here on the show. Joe, how you doing today, Joey, man? Joey,
3: Joey, Joey. Ah. Hey boys. I'm doing I'm doing really good. Hopefully better than Alex. Alex was having a contact issue last night. His eyes were all swollen up. He looked like Yaku Verana.
5: Joe, I got home and I took that contact out. No joke. I, I mean, I looked like—I mean, my eye was about as beet red as you can ask for. I looked like I sniffed a cat or something like that.
3: Yeah, you look like you got stung by like a hundred bees in your eyeball, oh, yeah. and you're allergic to bees. Oh yeah. It's
5: I, all right, though. I made it home.
1: I'm proud of you. I'm impressed I that you drive under these conditions,
5: Joey V.
3: Hey, you're a hockey guy. You showed back up for work this morning. That's right, uh, and
1: I did want to ask you about Jakub Varana and the performance that he was able to put together last night, Joe. Uh, given the significant incident that took place at practice, uh, what, did that impress you as a hockey guy yourself to see Yakub Varana perform like that?
3: Heck yeah, it did. Man, a lot. You should have seen him. After the morning skate, he came into the locker room. He forgot something in his stall. He came back in. He had gauze up each nostril. He had tape across his nose, just holding it all together, basically, before he had to go get stitched up. I mean, it looked like it was to per- take a permanent marker and draw a line from the left outside of the nostril, underneath the whole nasal cavity, across the nose on the other side. I mean, any deeper of a cut, and I think his whole nose would have fallen off. That's how deep it was. And the fact that he played, had a full shield on, and to get two goals there in that first period, both power play goals, certainly was hockey
5: tough, and I think it's things like that that
3: certainly endear
5: yourself to your new teammates. Absolutely, and Joe, I, I personally loved that one-timer that he had on the power play. Could we see uh, Yakub Verana replace what David Perron was on the power play? I don't know by this season because there's not as many games, but maybe by next year? Well, I think so. I mean,
3: listen, you know, he's a left-handed shot, so of course Perron being a righty, but you know what? I think it's more of a Vladimir Tarasenko replacement. You know, one thing about Tarasenko on the power play, especially as a left-handed shot, he was never very comfortable with one-timers. He always wanted to settle the puck down, pick his head up, and pick his spot. And this is a one-time threat that the Blues have been missing for quite some time. And I think every good power play every good power play runs through at least one one-timer and sometimes two one-timers. And I think with Kasperi Capitan on that right side and Verano on that left side, it certainly looks like they have some options for one-timers. Keep in mind, Jordan Cairo is starting to get more comfortable with his one-timer as well. I know one thing. I mean, you lose O'Reilly and you lose Vladimir Tarasenko, you bring in Brana, you bring in Captain. I think the one area where the Blues potentially were going to get exposed is you're going to start losing some guys who have some points that could produce. But really, I mean, you look at it, uh, the numbers are very similar when you compare both players and Captain and Brana and what, of course, Tarasenko and O'Reilly have done with their new team. So they haven't lost much ground there in the production standpoint.
1: We're talking to Joey Vitali, blues analyst for 101 ESPN. Joey's not a new player, but he's a fun one to watch. Another good night last night from uh, Pavel Buchnevich. I've been uh, honestly, maybe I shouldn't have been, but a, a little surprised and impressed by the way that he's transitioned over to center. I know he's still getting uh, some playing time on that wing with Thomas and Cairo, especially when they need some of that offense that he brings to the table. What has stood out to you so far in the early signs of what we've seen from him at center, Joe? You know, I'll be honest
3: with BK, it's just his attitude. You know, he's got an attitude about him. You know, he's a great personality off the ice, but he he does walk around with a little bit of arrogance in a good way. And what I mean by that is you need that arrogance. You need that edge to play in this league. You need that arrogance, especially to play center. Look at that matchup last night. I mean, him and Erickson Eck, from the drop of the puck, they were like stepbrothers that couldn't stand each other. I mean, they were going at each other from the very first drop. Every face-off, there was a couple extra whacks. I thought Gord Dwyer and the veteran um, Hanson did a wonderful job last night keeping the game under control, but allowing the guys to really to fight it out and allowing the big boys to play that rough style of hockey. And certainly Buchnevich and Erickson Eck had that style. You look at his production last night, he gets the hat trick. To me, it's all a product of just the passion and the edge he brings to the game. You know, especially right now, this is a Blues team that is a little bit down in the dumps. You know, they're gonna, they've never been out of this this – they've never been away from the playoffs or been out of the playoffs with this much time left in probably like seven or eight years. So it's a very new feeling. I was talking to Braden Chen about this the other day. He's never been out of the playoff race this early. Even his days in Philadelphia – he, he said that there was, even that last week, seven, eight games to go before they realized they were going to miss. So it's a tough time to be a player, and it's really this time of the year where you need players like Pavel Butchnevich to bring that edge, to bring that kind of attitude and snarl to the game and just kind of mix things up. And that's one of the reasons why you loved what Bennington did last night as well. Just you need players with passion. you got to have players that care, and certainly with Butchnevich, Craig Berube's comments after the game pretty much said it all. You hear the tone of his voice. He said he was good. He's always been good. He's been good all year. I mean, he has been Mr. Consistent when it comes to the offensive side of things.
5: So, Joe, speaking of Bennington, we know what the national perspective of Jordan Bennington is. They call them antics. And we know what kind of the local side of it looks at because we've seen it with Jordan Bennington. But from a player's perspective, put yourself in the locker room. Put yourself in one of the Blues skates in that situation last night. What's the reaction to Bennington's moves? If I'm a player in the Blues locker room after that game
3: is over and I'm, let's say, not Braden Shen, I'm probably fired up and pissed off at myself that I didn't do what Bennington did. You know, and to me, that's, that's what it comes down to. I think Braden Shen, of course, he got the 10-minute misconduct on Hartman. He was trying to stir something up. He was trying to spark something. I think Bennington was trying to spark something. I mean, if I'm a player, and be, besides those two players, I'm seeing myself, I'm probably kicking myself today, regretting maybe what I didn't do last night in that game. That game, it called for some gamers. It really did. It called for some guys with some edge. It called for some guys who wanted to stir things up and create some energy. And, it, and just and just put your foot down on the season saying kind of like enough's enough. You know, Bennington, there is this, there is this shtick about him where – it does appear that it's a little bit of antics. It does appear that it's a bit of a showman. He's, he's there just to entertain. But I tell you what, he challenged Marc-Andre Fleury last night. If it wasn't for the Lions, he would have fought him. So to me, I mean, there was, a lot of, there was a lot of put up, shut up last night with him. And to me, I think he would have dropped the gloves and been extremely willing. He's fought before. He will again. And, you know, last night's game, I've always felt this way about Jordan, but now I feel this way even more you love what he did because, to me, you're like, finally, someone, go get him. Absolutely. Show show that you care. Show the passion. Show that you're you're fed up with this season with the back doors and losing on home ice. I mean, to me, that's what it's about. And same way with Brayden Schenn, For him to go up and challenge Hartman after Hartman kind of uh, uh, got that little nick on Bennington after he scored, again, it's a response. Go, go do it. Go get it. Show that you're not going to put up guys running into your goaltender. So, to me, Alex, I'm completely fine with it. In fact, I actually applaud it. I applaud the passion. I applaud that guys care. You want a team of players that care. Like that locker room, you have to have players that care. And especially this time of the year, you're going to find out what players really care. Because you're not playing for anything, but you're playing for pride. And if you're playing for pride, you're really going to expose the guys that care and the guys that don't care. And to me, for Craig Bruby and Doug Armstrong, this is a really good uh, litmus test to kind of find out who those players are.
5: You know, Joe, somebody texted me last night during postgame and they brought up the, uh, the Jamie Ben-Alex Petrangelo spot where, you know, Jamie Ben sat on top of Petro and stood, sat there for a little bit and nobody did anything. And they said the same thing about Bennington last night where Hartman bounces into him, he takes a couple of extra hacks and everybody circled around and didn't do that. Is that more so of just the circumstance that the players were in or was it just a spot where the players didn't recognize what was taking place? I think, I think it's the latter. I think it's the second one,
3: you know, cause I know like a player like Justin Falk, who was right there, Justin Falk's fought in the past. I mean, he's fought Cadre. He's, he's defended teammates. He's one of those players that will stick up for for, for the guy next to him. So I'm not going to say that it's the personality of Falk and he should have done something because he's done it in the past and he would do it again. I think sometimes you're just in that moment and you don't really, com- you can't really grasp or comprehend that quickly what just happened. I, I found that the Hartman one, it kind of looked incidental. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. And I think that the players on the ice, you can't really critique how they handled it because it is such a bang-bang play. I think when you look at the replay and you sleep on it and you look back, that's when you have time to really dissect what happened. And then maybe the players will make a different decision. But for the players to make the decision in the moment, I'm never going to criticize that because I've been in that position before. And sometimes it's really hard to know exactly what's going on. Um, and you only have seconds to react to it. Um, but at the same token, you know, you look at that, what happened with Petrangelo and Jamie Ben. you look at Bennington, and, you know, certainly the game has changed a lot over the years. I remember games where Mark andre Fleury got ran when he was in Pittsburgh and I was on the bench. I remember Tony Granado, our assistant coach, coming up to me, and he did this about 70 times in my whole time in Pittsburgh when games kind of got out of hand like they did last night. And he would come up to me and very so quietly and gingerly and tenderly. He'd come over my left shoulder while I'm looking at, you know, the ice in the game. And he would just say something. He said, Joe, this is one of those games when the the game's over, you do not want to be on this bench. And I said, got it, coach. So, of course, then I would go out there and do something really stupid and get kicked out of the game and probably get (laughs) suspended. But, you know, the game has changed a lot, so you don't expect to see that every single game or on a weekly basis. But I think to, to Tony's point, you know, you want to endear yourself to your teammates. You want to be in this league a long time. You have to play with an edge, and you have to defend each other. And I think that this is something that's kind of gotten away from game a little bit. Uh, but certainly, you look at some of the performances last night of some players that certainly sticked up for Biddington and putting himself. You know, I think that that is a uh, very commandable thing.
1: Joey, we'll get you out of here on this. Are you a big NCAA tournament guy? Are you going to be in on any uh, bracket pools or anything
3: like that? You know what? I'm not BK, but I tell you what. This year, I might, I might change it up. I may, I may throw out a bracket. I may watch a little bit of it. Uh, but before, you know, I, I, was in high school when I was at CBC. Me and like a group of buddies, every March we play hooky. We go over there um, to to some bar with McGurks. Or some some other place. Helen Fitzgeralds we went to. We actually skipped school one day to watch the tournament.
1: Max in downtown Alton, <laughs> for example.
3: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, we used to get wings and soda. We were just in high school. We could not have beer yet. Uh, but we get wings and we'd watch. We watch basketball all day. So it's been it's been some time. But maybe this year I'll change up my fortune.
1: I think you probably should. I would recommend getting on that bracket soon, though, Joe. The the tournament has officially. Luckily, there's only one game, so you got time, (laughs) Joe.
3: Here I am wasting my time talking to you. I got to get on it. I got to get on this bracket. Got to go. Get on
1: it, Joey. We appreciate the time, man. See you, boys. That's Joey Vitale, Blues Analyst for 101 ESPN. Always appreciate him hopping on the show. You'll hear him on the call tomorrow night. Blues at the Washington Capitals. Six o'clock puck drop for that one. We'll have your pregame coverage tomorrow starting at five. I think what he says there is fair. And, Alex, I know you've mentioned this before as well, where you need some of that energy. You need that fight. Maybe even not, like, literally fight, but where you can feel the the personality and you can feel uh, some of the, like, energy that's coming off of Jordan Bennington. And it does seem like sometimes that is missing from the Blues this year. And I think some of that is just, like, they're not very good. And so there's a lack of energy when right. you're not performing. But Benner, you know every night that he's on the ice He's going to fight like hell, Mm -hmm. and I do respect that about him, even if it does rub me the wrong way at times.
5: Yeah, I I mean, look, like I said, the the situational, the Pittsburgh Penguins one, I knew what he was trying to do, but you were trying to spark some life into your team, but it didn't look good because you were the one that was giving up those goals, and your team and that situation wasn't playing well also. But last night, I mean, you, you played so well in the first period that you felt like, damn, they could win this game again. And then it just... Died in the second period. A minute and fifty-eight seconds. You're down by two goals, and you're thinking, "What the hell just happened?" Uh, you, all, Bennington is always there to try and breathe some life into the team. Sometimes it rubs people the wrong way. Sometimes it doesn't look good. But I prefer my goaltender to have attitude like that. And I mean, I'm not comparing him to those guys, but some of the greatest goaltenders in the NHL had that attitude. Patrick Waugh was that way. You stepped into the crease, he was going to cross-check you. Chris Osgood did the same thing with the Detroit Red Wings. Cujo was that way. And now, most recently, Jonathan Quick was that way. So I know the numbers need to back it up, but frankly, it's hard for your numbers to back it up when the team's not playing well. But if I'm going to get anything, I want to know that my goaltender's got that life there and has got my team's back.
1: 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service Tax Line. We'll get some questions and answers coming up next. You're on 101 ESPN.
0: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobb's Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions, we may have the answers. Maybe text 314-399-9646. PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101. ESPN brought to you by James Carlton with state farm have drivers under 25 on your insurance save hundreds of dollars a year with CarltonInsurance.net.
1: 314-399-9646 is the air comfort service text line for questions and answers let's start with this one from the 314 Alex how are you coping with the fact that your guy just got sent down to the minors uh.
5: Sad day for Lil Poppy. If you
1: missed it, Derek Gould reporting this about 20 minutes ago. After a strong outing against the New York Mets, Connor Thomas, oh. Tanner's guy, has oh. been optioned down Not to the so minors. far is it? And
5: so, too, has Yvonne Herrera and slugger Moises Gomez. Look, um, it wasn't a great camp for my guy. After he started off hot and heavy, he fell off and started to swing and miss. But I don't look at it as a uh, demotion. I look at this as another opportunity for him to showcase what his ability is. And like a phoenix, he's going to rise through the ashes and return as a DH at some point this season. Mind you this, Lil Poppy will be at the majors at some point this year.
1: From the 636, guys, who do you think is the next blue to be in line for a contract extension? Hopefully none of them. I think it's... I think it's Buchnevich. <laughs> Hopefully well, of Well, no. You know what? Let me answer this a different way. Okay. I think it's one of Jakub Varana or Kasperi Kapanen, depending on what happens with those guys. Yeah,
5: that makes a lot of sense. I do think they'll try with Buchnavich next season. They'll, I don't He's in think his final year. Two more. So he'll be eligible in
1: 2024-25.
5: Yeah. Um, that's probably good. I also wonder if Doug tries to buy low on Scott Perunovic. He's an RFA after this season. Do you go to him and say, Good look, one. you've been injured? Let's do another two year deals for a million dollars each year and see if you could get something out of him. But I, I, I'm with you. I, I would say Yakub Verano would be the one that I could see them resigning.
2: Yeah, I would either go with Vrana or Kapanen, but I, I think you will keep one of those guys on maybe a contract. Extension. Yeah, I don't think probably, you get both. Yeah, and you probably sell on the other one next year because both guys, if they're playing well next year in the Blues, haven't turned it around. They're going to be uh, big commodities at the trade deadline. So I would probably say it'd be one of those two, probably followed by Pavel Buchnevich. But I would say if they're doing a Buchnevich, it's extension, well, that's tough to say. Yeah. I, I would not want it to be like an eight-year deal. I, I want them to be more cautious on their contract well, term than they eight, have been.
5: I doubt it would be an eight-year because he'll be 28 by the time you could start negotiating I with him. I think that it will definitely be something like an eight-year and I think I he'll ask hesitate. for an eight-year. I don't know if Doug's going to – I think Doug's learned his lesson a little bit with these last couple of years that's in terms of contracts. If doesn't give him an eight-year deal, I don't think he's staying in St. Louis. Probably then not. I,
2: then I see assets coming back in return. Probably. Like I, I'm, at, You know me and contract extensions in baseball. I'm that way with the Blues it, now because it, it it has burned them now, it feels like, with these last couple to where they're – I don't know if they're going to be able to I, move I will now. say
1: this, though. Bucinavich is an elite player. Giving out long-term extensions to good players. Bucinavich, based on everything that we've seen from him in a Blues uniform, I mean, whether you're looking at points, you're looking at all-around 200-foot game, if you're looking at
5: penalty kill, power play – he does everything for you. Uh, not, not to – be this guy but I will bring this to the forefront and play devil's advocate here if Doug's talking about a a, an age range of 26 25 years old Buchnevich is going to be out of that age range by the time he's a UFA he's going to be 30 years old and if Kairu at that time is 26 and Thomas is 25 but the hope is you're competing again by the time that
1: Buchnevich is entering his free agency years and if you're entering your window let's call it two years from now in the final year of his deal are you just going to let your best player, arguably, walk in free agency, point. or trade him at the beginning of your next window? I think the answer is no. Yeah. I, I don't think Doug Armstrong is going to be doing
5: that. The other factor into this too is what do they? How, how long do they view this? If it is a couple of years, and you're right, you got to resign him. What's the cap do? But the other thing, we make the comps to the LA Kings. Uh, we did the Minnesota Wild yesterday. Don't overlook who the Minnesota Wild traded away in the offseason to gain assets so that the they All- could be competitive this year. And Kevin Fiala was a UFA, wanted his long-term deal. Minnesota said, we can't afford it. We got to go a different way. They did that, though, because they had Kaprizov. You don't have a Kaprizov on your team yet. 314 399 is the Air
1: Comfort Service X-Line. Final question for questions and answers from the 573 guys that just started listening. Has BK been crying yet about Jordan Bennington? No. I surprised all of you. No, I surprised myself Tanner. sometimes. Yeah, I, I, I had zero issue with what Jordan Bennington did last night. If the game mattered... I probably would have had some issues with it today, and I would have been on Tanner's side. The game didn't matter. In fact, the results ended up being the thing that the Blues needed to happen, which is a loss. They gave up a bunch of goals, and they lost at least in part because Jordan Bennington got ran from the game because they brought in Thomas Grice, and Grice is not as good as Jordan Bennington. So if that game mattered, I would maybe be on here today saying I'm kind of getting frustrated with these Jordan Bennington antics, again, for the 17th time in the last two years. But it didn't matter, and so I'm not saying that today. You
5: guys want to know the worst stat in the world from last night? Thomas Grice was handed the loss in that game. Really? <laughs> That's brutal. Because I when, feel for him. Because when Biddington left... It was tied, It right? was tied. No, it was 5-4, but the Blues had scored a fifth goal, yeah. and Grice was in net.
1: Grice has an incentive in his contract. I think it's for 20 starts on the season. Oh, yeah. They'll they'll cut that back. I want to say it's like 250K. This is not a like huge one, but... Hey man, Do you your- think he's rooting no. for Bennington to get suspended for like three gaps? <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey,
5: I'm rooting for Bennington to get suspended for the rest of the season because that's just going to raise that stock for Connor Bedard.
1: Grice has th- uh, 15 starts so far, so he needs five starts down the stretch to be able to hit that
5: incentive. I, I, saw- I
1: think he's rooting for a, a <laughs> small suspension out I- of it. I moment.
5: saw a strength of schedule for the rest of the season, and the Blues were towards the bottom in terms of they've got a tough schedule and like all of the teams behind them have easier schedules yeah I'd like a Bennington suspension for about 10 games that'd be great alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner
1: Hendrickson I'm Brandon Kiley, It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN coming up in about 15 minutes or so we're singing for an audience today it is believe oh, it not. or not but coming up next so the Cardinals have the next Francisco Lindor on their hands huh <laughs> yeah 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 that's what one of the national analysts had to say we'll tell you if we think it's crazy coming up next on 101 espn we're right back to the pk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto
0: centers on 101 espn The, the defense, the arm is what got him so much attention, but the bat is just blowing the lid off the expectations for Mason Wynn. So he's expecting uh, a kid with a, an upside, and he told me this, of a Francisco Lindor offensively, that that's how good Mason Wynn can be. 20-plus homers, could be a 90 to 100 RBI guy, with all of his speed, with the new rules, could steal 30 bags perennially, and he could buy for a goal glove is shortstop. That's everything you want
1: alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. That was Greg Singer on the morning show earlier today. He said Dan O'Dowd, former major league baseball general manager, maybe for a reason, told him that Mason Wynn has the potential to be the next Francisco Lindor. <laughs> now, if you're not familiar with Francisco Lindor's work, He's a career 280 hitter with a 120 OPS plus. And oh, by the way, he happens to have won, you know, like three or four gold gloves in his career so far as well. He's an excellent defensive player, one of the best all around shortstops in all of baseball. And outside of a weird stretch in 2021 in his first season in New York, he has perennially been one of the better offensive producing shortstops in the game as well. First of all feel like we're already doing with Mason Wynn what we've previously done
5: with every other prospect and that the I Cardinals like have it. ever had. Yeah, this is fantastic. Once Soto, Aaron Nola, now Francisco Lindor. Oh. Mm. Alex, when
1: you hear Greg Amzinger say that on the opening drive, your reaction is what?
5: I wish it was somebody other than Greg Amzinger, because <laughs> Greg Amzinger, we all know, likes to get real hyped for Cardinals players. But, hey, Dan O'Dowd's the one that said it, not Greg Amzinger. I'll give him credit here. This is huge. If that is the case, then you are set up. First of all, no more questioning John Mosellock and company for not going into the shortstop market because you had a better shortstop available that's younger and controllable. Um, The defense, I'd believe it because from everything we've heard, we've seen it. He's an incredible defender. Offensively, I didn't believe it before spring training started. Now I'm starting to believe it a little bit more, but that changes the game for this Cardinals team because now... You insert a player who you know is going to be a stud for you at the biggest position that you need. And two, you create tradable assets because of Mason Wynn by next season, whether that's Tommy Edmund, Brendan Donovan, wherever you want to go with it. That's how you upgrade your team to become a World Series contender.
2: Yeah, my first reaction when we heard that cut was, there's no way. Like, (laughs) I've seen Wynn in person. I don't see... Francisco Lindor. If you want to talk about upside and ceiling, I, I understand the Turner comp that comes around a lot just based on size and bat. Then I went and dug into the numbers. Guys, it is very similar. <laughs> it is like very similar. Poppy 2.0. Better. And uh, oh. AA, both were 20 years old when they played a big chunk of their games in AA because that's where Mason Wynn was last year, it was 2014 when Francisco Lindor was there. In 88 games, he had a 278 batting average, 352 on base, 389 slugging, and a 741 OPS. Just to save some time, the OPS for Mason Wynn in AA last year in 86 games was higher at 781. He had a bit of a higher OPP, and he also had a better slugging percentage. Didn't hit for the average, but those numbers are very similar. So I can understand where the comp is coming from based on just looking at the numbers. I, I, I kind of agree I don't want to put that much pressure on Mason Wynn to become Francisco Lindor or even Trey Turner because we kind of talked about this yesterday. For him to live up to the expectations and kind of get away from the mindset of, man, the Cardinals passed on that the last two free agent shortstop classes, they need to just be a, a solid everyday shortstop and be kind of like what Edgar Renteria was. Wasn't always the best at the position. Wasn't always a stud guy that was viewed across Major League Baseball. But he was a really good player for the St. Louis Cardinals, and therefore a handful of years. So that's what the Cardinals need Mason Wynn to be, and I think he can be that, where he's going to provide good defense, probably going to hit for some solid average, going to get on base at a decent clip, and also have a little bit of power in his bat. Can you allow me to dream for a minute? Yeah, why not? Mr.
5: Sandman. (laughs) Am I allowed
1: to get excited about Mason Wynn yet? No. Yes. No, you can't, man. Because, man, does he look awesome in spring training. We heard it the other day from BT where he said, I don't know that there's a single player on the Cardinals that is more exciting to watch than Mason win. And he included Jordan Walker in that discussion. Not because Walker hasn't been fun, but because Mason Wynn is just that special. So far in spring training, and this is 29 at-bats, it's a super small sample size. You would never use this to judge a season, much less a player in spring training. But this is against mostly major league pitching. 276 average, 350 on base and a 517 slug. That includes a double and two home runs so far in spring. That's an 870 OPS for Mason Wynn. That's his weakness. His offensive game is supposed to be where he's like lagging behind the rest of his peers and it doesn't appear as if that is the case any longer for him. If he goes down to AAA, which he should, and he starts tearing the cover off of the baseball, Guys, we're going to be having the conversation about Mason Wynn midseason that we were having midseason with Nolan Gorman last year. And the crazy part about it is it's way easier to figure out how you utilize Mason Wynn on this team than it was last year to figure out how Nolan Gorman's going to get his at-bats. Because last year was tough. You you had to figure out, okay, can we use Nolan Gorman as our DH? Is he a second baseman? What, What do we do here? And they had already Brendan Donovan, who was playing well at second base, and they had... Uh, Juan Yepes, who was performing at times, but really Albert Pujols, who was in that DH spot, there there was no spot for him. You just start him at shortstop if Mason Wynn is ready to go. And what does that mean for Tommy Edmond? I don't know. He probably slides over to second. What does that mean for Brendan Donovan? I don't know. He's playing all over the place every day. This is one of them good problems. And if you allow yourself to dream for a bit, dude, this could be so much fun. If they actually have a franchise-caliber shortstop, the last time that happened where they drafted and developed their franchise shortstop was Ozzy.
2: Ozzy was traded I know, they they traded but like where Ozzie he
1: came right. in and he was a guy maybe I should have clarified here. It's like the Wayne O thing, right? Gotcha. Where he was the guy from the moment that he stepped on hey, the field with the in t- Red
5: Taria, t- didn't they?
1: Yeah, but he wasn't a long term answer. He was what, five years, six years? Oh no, five, they didn't draft him. Florida no. did No. Yeah, he was here. What did he get here? Like twenty-five-ish? Twenty-four? Twenty five? Twenty-two? This would be the first time that we've some seen something like this in a long time
5: no. from the St. Louis Let Cardinals. me just come in and slash your dreams. Please do. Because you know what happens when you dream about things like this? Heartbreak. And how many times have we seen heartbreak with this Cardinals team and specifically Cardinals prospects where we get hyped up and say, oh, my gosh, this guy's going to be this good. And then, boom, back down to earth.
2: To, to that point, I, and maybe it's just me, doesn't this feel a little different, though? Like I don't as not really, much as it's spring training. I get it, but as much as Carlson was hyped, I I don't know if I ever had this same feeling around him also, as I do Win and Walk.
1: Dylan Carlson was good. Yeah, Dylan Carlson came up and in 2021 was an awesome player. I think this is something that we
5: forget. Last no, but year, look at him now, this is what I'm saying though. You get one, but he was hurt
1: year. last year, and I'm not saying that he's going to be great this year. I'm not, but. Dylan Carlson is a 24-year-old player that so far in his major league career has been 5% above league average, has been as advertised defensively so far, and is a pretty good base runner as well. Dylan Carlson is a good baseball player. That's what he was projected to be. Even when we heard any of the prospects guys that came on with us, they said, hey, don't get overly excited that Dylan Carlson's going to be a star. That's not why he's ranked highly in these prospects rankings. He's ranked highly because everybody's pretty sure that Dylan Carlson is going to be a quality starter in the big leagues. Meanwhile, with Mason Wynn... It's, it's the opposite. His, pro, his profile as a prospect is, man, we have no idea if this, this guy's ever going to be able to make it as an everyday or in, the, in, in Major League
2: Baseball. But if he does, the potential is sky high. And, Just, and that's what I'm saying is I, I feel like when we're talking about these Win and Walker and these guys – it feels on a different level because that ceiling is so high. I, I should have been more clear because Carlson, yes, there was the hype around him. But I think the moment you saw him play, you went, you know what, I don't know if he'll ever be great, but I think he'll be good. Andre Ethier was always the comp, Yes. And Ethier would have those up and down years, whether it was injury or just a little bit of inconsistency. And as I say, that Walker singles into left. Uh, but I, I think when we're looking at Walker and win, the ceiling seems so much higher and there seems to be more, I don't know if hype's the right word, but it just feels different. It feels like I haven't seen the Cardinals develop something like this in a really long time
5: see and again not to be devil's advocate here but it, steven piscotty felt this way where there was a lot of hype around it totally disagree i think he was
1: in the in the carlson colby agreeing.
5: rasmus felt this way where there was a maybe ton one of hype around argue, this but one but that felt like it was a little bit more diaz was no, this way where there no was a, he wasn't dude that spring training there was so much hype of oh he my god that was this highly, highly rated prospect but that's what I'm saying. I'm not talking about the rating of prospects. I'm talking matters. about matters. The pedigree matters a lot. We saw it it a like it like Diaz, I'm talking hype about a player, but
2: I think the hype around Diaz came because you were at the back end of, was that Peralta? That was here at the mm-hmm. back end there. So like, you could see that the, the window with him was dwindling and, Though he did have a good spring, it almost felt kind of like the Hazel Baker Spring where it's like, oh, this is going to be a cool story. He's going to be up. He's going to make the opening day roster. Might be hot for a month, and you know he's going to kind of flare out. And credit to Diaz. He's had a really good baseball career so far. I just,
5: I'm, I'm not trying to be jaded here. It's just I, I feel like we do this. Yeah, I think you need a beer, man. Maybe, probably, not till 6 o'clock after f- the fast lane.
1: <laughs> I, I think we do overestimate the potential for prospects a lot. And I think that is in part because the Cardinals have had a lot of good prospects and we try to make them into elite, like upper tier, upper echelon and all of Major League Baseball types of prospects. Walker is that. Mason I'm not Witt denying Walker. That.
5: Mason wins the one I'm just not there yet. I mean, we talked to,
1: I think it was, God, Kylie McDaniel, I think, where he said, at the end of this season, if he hasn't made his big league debut yet, Mason has a chance to be a top-ten prospect in all of baseball by the end of the year. But you said that is, but you That is Francisco said Lindor. That is Jordan Walker.
5: But we said it last year where we were talking about, and I forgot we've talked with t- tons of people last year where we were like, oh, well, the defense plays, but the offense doesn't play. And now all of a sudden it's Francisco well, Lindor from I, one spring training?
1: I, I mean, I will but last say this. year his offensive numbers were better than people expected. Yeah. That's part of this as well.
2: And, and I, I saw him in person twice last year, and again, that's a very small sample sample size, but I came back if you guys remember from when I went down to Springfield and watched two games and said, I don't know about his bat. It, it seems like there's some holes in the swing. He looks different to me in spring training. He looks like he's made some changes from when I saw him back in spring and if that's in the, Springfield.
5: If that's the case, awesome. And and it does traject this way. And you're right. To dream that is massive for this Cardinals team because you've never had that and you've got cost control that that position in the outfield spot with Jordan Walker like you're setting yourself up primely that's just the part that I'm still nervous about with Mason Lynn
1: I think it's fair it is totally I think a lot of people in our audience are where you're at Alex and it's fair to have that view on it where you're kind of jaded because of prospects past the ghosts of prospects uh, past if you will and they haunt me but, like, I think the tough part for me is the only Cardinals prospects that have really been in this lane, at least in the last decade that I can remember, are Alex Reyes, and that was injury-related as to why it went awry. I think you could argue – I mean, Oscar Tavares was this, and we were never able to find yeah. out whether or not he was going to work at the big league level, but the early returns were pretty good. And that's kind of it. That's like the end of the list, really. For, and if you're just looking position player-wise, it's really just Tavares. So, I I don't – while Carlson was up there, he he wasn't, like, top ten in all of Major League Baseball, and his his profile was basically what he's become, which is a a pretty good everyday player. These guys feel different. They look different. They act different. It's just – if it ends up working out, man, it totally changes the way that you look at the Cardinals for not just 2023, but for years to come. Because if those dudes end up hitting – and you've got stars on those rookie entry-level deals. <laughs> you guys want to talk about a starting pitcher this offseason? We can talk about some starting, starting pitchers, pitchers this of offseason. Off I'm talking of trade deadline if that's the case. Yeah, I mean, like you could pay big money. You want to talk Shohei Otani? I don't think the Cardinals will do it, but we can talk
5: about you it. You don't need
1: to. We already have Shohei We can Ohtani. at least discuss it. If they end up hitting on guys like this that are stars on rookie level deals because it opens up so much I'd rather have
5: Aaron Nola and uh, Juan Soto, and we have that, and Connor Jerpy and Brennan Donovan. Co- his
1: name's Cooper. <laughs> yeah. Well,
5: yeah. <laughs> I, I combined Connor Thomas and Cooper Jerpy.
1: Coming up next 314 399 is player. the air comfort service tag slide. We'll play a game but Believe It or Not here on 101 ESPN. <laughs>
0: Right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Look at what's happened to me! I can't
2: believe it myself. Man, on vacation. This is gonna be bad, guys. On
5: vacation. It's gonna be beautiful. I hope everybody joins We've in. Got a live audience today. I can't breathe out of my nose.
2: Maybe you sit back. This one. <laughs>
5: nope.
2: Believe it or not, I'm, I'm walking, walking on, on air. air. I thought I could
5: feel so know, <laughs> free. <laughs> Nobody saying. <laughs>
1: right away on and a wing
5: oh. and a prayer. Who <laughs> could? Oh, hell no. <laughs> oh, dude, sorry.
1: You weren't
2: feeling it. <laughs> Believe
1: it or not
2: it's just me
1: 314-399-9646 is is the air comfort service next line we got some stage fright up here on bk and ferrario we're broadcasting live from max in downtown alton illinois come on out say hello grab yourself a nice drink and watch the rest of the ncaa tournament along with us Furman trying to make this a battle against Virginia, 32-26, with about a minute left in the first half in that one. Mizzou going to be tipping off here in about 15 minutes or so. We'll keep keep you updated with all of the action here on 101 and Maryland up 32-30 against West Virginia in the 8-9 matchup in the South region at the half all right let's get to believe it or not here on 101 ESPN believe it or not Aaron Rodgers is going to be traded to the Jets but it will not happen until after this year's draft
5: oh I'll believe that one if you're the Packers that's the smart play force the Jets to go in first of all force the Jets to meet your compensation because they have to the Packers are already paying them right like they're they're already accounting for his money and 2 I'm gonna screw over the team that I'm trading a guy who has made my team miserable the last couple of years with. So go into the draft, not knowing if you're gonna get this quarterback and then make your selections and then figure out. The only hesitancy there is if you're Green Bay, don't you want New York's first round pick? I would like it. I will say this. I've been surprised
1: by the number of people, both nationally and then locally in New York, that seem to believe the Jets have the leverage here. In what world do the Jets have any leverage? What are your options? You've basically made it known you're not in on Lamar Jackson. So that's not an option for you. You're going to go back to the market where the best free agent quarterback remaining is Chad Hinney bringing him out of retirement. Like I I genuinely don't know who the best quarterback remaining is anymore. Matt Ryan's available true that that honestly probably is the best available quarterback right now for the jets they don't have an alternative everybody knows that their quarterback next season is going to be aaron Rodgers. it's the only way it works out for them meanwhile the packers they can say to the jets we're not giving him to you until you give us what we think he's worth and if i'm the packers i'm staying true to that i'm not giving him up for without a first round pick why would i I'm accounting for the money right now. I'm basically missing out on all of free agency either way. So what's the difference if I have him on my roster come opening day or not? If you want him, give us your first-round pick. If not, great. We'll go ahead and wait and do this next year with you guys, and you can continue starting Zach Wilson into the beginning of the season.
2: I'm not going to believe this, though, because I think they will get it done before the draft because it kind of hamstrings both sides right now by not getting this figured out. So... That's the only reason I think they get this done. Maybe it isn't the first-round pick this year that ends up getting traded by the Jets, but they've got to get it figured out. They've got to get this solved. That way they can kind of move forward with their offseason because, like you said, they've been just kind of sitting around right now and not been able to do anything so far.
1: Somebody says, guys, the Packers don't want him. He doesn't want to be there. They've got to trade him. They don't want him. He doesn't want to be there. Cool, then they'll be there. I'm paying. you doesn't mean that you got to show up. I don't expect you to show up. In fact, we don't want you to show up. Rodgers doesn't go to the offseason stuff for the Packers either way. So Jordan loves their starting quarterback. They're operating as if he's their starting quarterback. Nothing's changed for the Packers. The only team that things change for is the Jets. And until he shows up, he can't go to any of their offseason stuff. He can't be, allegedly, handed their playbook or anything like that. He can't start developing those relationships until he's a Jet. So – yeah, I, I think that right now, if I'm the Packers, man, I'm tightening those screws as much as possible. We want a first-round pick, and you're going to give that to us eventually. T-Bone, what do you have for Believe It or Not?
2: Guys, Jack Flaherty's velo is down once again today, my, about a mile and a half miles, sitting around 91. That's where he's been most of spring training. Believe it or not, that's who he's going to be moving forward. And if he is throwing 91 rather than the 93, 94 miles an hour that he used to when he was healthy, Cardinals can't bring him back on a contract extension no matter what the year is
5: I'm not going to believe this one because this is still spring training to me and I, I know that's the velo and it's what it's kind of circled around with but I also believe with last season Jack Flaherty's still slowly ramping this back up I'll be watching closely his last couple of starts before the end of spring training that will really tell me where it's at I, I Jack Flaherty to me has that in the back of his arsenal to light up the radar gun if he needs to So I'm not going to believe this one.
1: So Flaherty for his career has been closer to like 94. That's where he's averaged. What'd you say he's at this spring so far? He's sitting around 91,
2: 92. That's where he's been most of spring.
1: I'm going to say I'm not believing this just yet. But as a disclaimer, what you said there at the end, if he is sitting at 91, 92, and that ends up being the pitcher that he is, that's probably not the kind of guy that you're giving big money to. I... you said no matter what, I, I would resign him. Like There's definitely a dollar figure in a year's in, in annual value that you could get to where it makes sense for the Cardinals. But the big money deal that we all assumed was coming for Jack if he turns it around this year, yeah, that, that's probably not going to be the case if he is sitting in the lower 90s.
2: See, I think I'm going to believe this because I think he is going to start sitting in the lower 90s. He was in the lower 90s last year, too, at, during spurts when he came back from the injury. I just wonder if he can't seem to ramp it up anymore because of, the shoulder issues that he's had. And to that point, I, I I don't know if I'd give him a contract extension if he doesn't have the same life on the fastball because though he is one of those guys that relies more on that slider for strikeouts, it's set up by the fastball. And if the fastball starts to see a downtick in Velo, I have some concerns. Now, I kind of agree with you. There probably is a certain dollar amount that I'm willing to go and a certain years that I'm willing to go. But I, I think Velo is a big part of his game and a big part that generates and helps with developing that swing and miss. So I don't want to say I'm like really concerned, but I do have some concerns about his velo continuing to sit down compared to where it has been.
1: Alex, what do you got for believe it or not?
5: Boys, believe it or not, the best offseason move that Doug Armstrong can pull this year with the money expected and where this team is at is signing Oscar Sundquist Ryan Reeves and making a trade for a defenseman. I believe I've convinced myself after last night's game, which, yes, recency bias, it was one game. The best move that this team can do is bring in a guy like an Oscar Sundquist, where this team is in that in-between area. They can bring in Orion Reeves to solidify that fourth line and also bring a little bit of attitude to their team. And then find a way to make a trade for a defenseman, because if you retool the defense this team's offense has what it takes to be competitive specifically in the western conference it just needs to be better defensively and how do you get to better defensively well you get a little nastier in your forward spot
1: do we think Bucinavich is playing center or not next year? yeah I would say he is then I'm not believing this I think that they need a winger that can play with Thomas and Cairo now if you believe that winger to be Oscar Sunquist no I
5: think that's Verano I think Verana next season is going to be playing with Thomas and Cairo.
1: I think you need somebody with a little more girth. I I think that what we have seen from that line with Alexei Torbchenko or that style of player, it's opened up my eyes to the possibility
5: of what if we did have a little bit more of a net front presence on this line? Here's my thought process with this, though. If Verana's playing with Thomas and Cairo, they're not going up against the other team's top line. Buchnevich is going to be going up against the other team's top line, and it would be Buchnevich, uh, Kapanen, And let's just throw in Jake Neighbors or Brandon Saad, wherever you're going to go with that. Sammy Blay, maybe Braden Shen. But that's the line that's playing against the other team's top line because of their defensive ability. And the mismatch comes into you playing Thomas, Cairo, and Verana against another team's top line. It's fun. It's interesting. I I would not go this
1: route. I'm not going to believe it i think that you're looking i definitely don't think that this is going to be a team that ends up going out and spending any sort of real money on a fourth line player Agreed. i think they like their fourth line as currently constructed Toropchenko, i think will be on it next year i think you're going to see sammy blay on the fourth line next year and i think alexandrov has done more than enough to prove oh, yeah. that he is your fourth line center going into next season that's cheap it's young that's a fourth line that you can live with going into next season i think they are going to get one forward in the off season and i think that forward is going to be that top line left winger with thomas and kairu And I do not think it's going to end up being – maybe it's Jake Neighbors. I don't think it ends up being Oscar Sundquist.
2: Yeah, I'm not going to believe it either. And and to your point, I think, one, it's the fourth line. I think they feel like they've got it with what you just said. And then for me, too, is do they probably need a little bit more grit? Yes. I I think at times – most of the year we've seen that they could use a little bit more grit. But at this point in their life cycle, I think they need just more talent than they do need grit. So I I think it is that top fluffling spot that you're talking about. You look to go get that, and that's really the – big offseason move they have i
5: think you got the talent on offense you don't have the talent on defense that's where you need to fill the talent void 314-399-9646
1: is the air comfort service text line a couple more believe it or not here on a 101 esp and this one comes from the text line from the 314 guys believe it or not the blues will re-sign at least one of the unrestricted free agents that they traded at the deadline
5: um I'm not going to believe this one because it's not going to be Barbashev. It's not going to be Vladimir Tarasenko. It's not going to be Mikula. The only hope is that it's Ryan O'Reilly, but if Pavel Buchnevich is playing center for you moving forward, then they'll go another direction. So I'm not going to believe this.
2: Yeah, I'm not going to believe it either because I, Tarasenko's not coming back. Barbie's not coming back because he'll be too expensive, and that's why they dealt him. They had talks with him already. Mikula, I mean, you can Tucker can be like your Mikula, that sixth defenseman or seventh defenseman, however you view him. I I don't see O'Reilly happening because of what you said. If you're going with Butch at center, there's no real role for Ryan O'Reilly to play center here on the St. Louis Blues and bring him back. So I'm not going to believe this. I'm not
1: believing this either. I think that, honestly, Doug Armstrong basically made that known with what he said in his comments after the trade deadline. He said, we're not looking to make multi-year investments going into this offseason. This is just not the year that we're going to do that. If you are re-signing, especially Vladdy or O'Reilly, you're going to have to take... Um, or you're going to have to make multi-year investments in those guys. So I, I don't think that the Blues are going that route. If they were going to bring anybody back, maybe they would end up going for a center, and you go that route. If they were going
5: to bring anybody back, it would be O'Reilly, but it would have to be under the terms of Doug Armstrong. You're coming back on a three-year deal, and we're paying you $3 million a and year. And I just don't think he's not doing to that.
1: that. All right, coming up next, we're sticking with the Blues. Pavel Buchnevich is having a heck of a season once again. He's doing something, Alex. He's on pace to do something that only one other Blues forward in franchise history has accomplished. I'll tell you what that is coming up next year on 101 ESPN.
0: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
4: Head of Steve, he's in, he shoots, he scores! What a play! He changed speeds, he put it into fourth gear and roofs it for a power play goal. They win the draw, they get it, Verana. he scores! Slap shot on a one-timer from a face-off win for the Blues. And Yaku Verana stitched up in the morning skate, and he's led the Blues to a 3-1 lead in the first period. Second power play goal of the period for the Blues.
1: Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. That's what it sounded like last night on the call with Chris Kerber and Joey Vitale as Jakub Verana. couple of goals once again for the St. Louis Blues. Alex, you can see the impact that both his speed and his shot have already had on this roster. What is... What is his performance? How does that play into some of the decisions that are coming up for the Blues? What, what are you watching for from him the rest well, of the week Well, right
5: way? now, uh, you're just watching how he fills the void on offense. And I think Joey laid it out perfectly. And if you missed that interview, go check it out on the podcast page after the show, 101ESPN.com. Thanks to Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Um, y- you lost to Arisango and you're thinking, how are they going to fill that void of offense? You found it in Yakub Verana And last night, I thought was a perfect example of it, his shot. The dude doesn't hesitate to shoot the puck. He finds it, he shoots it, he puts it on net and hopes for a rebound or hopes for a shot on goal. He had five shots last night. Like, I love the fact that Verana comes into games and he just says, I'm going to shoot the puck. Because you need guys like that. You need guys that get away from this. Oh, well, let's make that extra pass so that we can catch that defender off guard and have an easy tap in. No, you just need to have the ability to shoot the puck. And then on top of it, the power play goal by Verana to me, was the most impressive aspect of it, because that's a one-time shot. You don't have one-time shots on your team anymore. Perron's gone, Tarasenko never did it, and right now you're trying to fill that void of making threats on the power play. I know it was right within the face-off dot uh, from the win by Shen, right to Kairou, right to Verona, but think about what you can do if Kairou can become a one-time shot and Verona can become a one-time shot. That's two opposite ends of the goaltending net that you're able to shoot that puck from. Goalies don't know where to go. So for Verona, I'm watching how he continues to develop offensively. Defensively, we know he's a perimeter guy, although he's had some plays where he back checks that I enjoy watching. But this is all about offense for him. Can he be a top-line guy getting this opportunity to shoot the puck? He's got four goals in his last four games.
1: I guess my question would be this. Can he be a slightly more lethal version of Brandon Sod. Like, is that what we're looking at here? Because I'm looking at his Absolutely. numbers, and this is purely just based on the numbers so far, but we've also watched him, and we can see stylistically how there is some similarities there. Four goals, zero assists so far, which oh, feels very sod. Brandon Sod like yes. But Selfish. the biggest difference is he's, made, he's had 19 shots on net in his five games so far in a Blues uniform, and he's getting that power play time, like, what if he's just like a middle six forward that you can kind of pair with Brandon Saad, and he's just a slightly better version of that in terms of his shooting? I think right. Brandon Saad might be a better all-around player. He's better
5: defensively. But
1: Yakub Verana could be a, a a slightly more lethal version
5: of the, that. The way I look at Verana like Brandon Saad to me, because of where he's at in terms of age and his skill, at best-case scenario, he is a third-line winger for you. Best-case scenario for Varana is he's a second-line winger for you because he absolutely... I think he could be more lethal than Brandon Saad because Brandon, Spod, or Brandon Saad, uh, he goes on, on spurts where he scores a few goals in a couple of games, and then he goes silent and then he picks back up. If you look at Verano when he's played for Detroit, when he played for Washington, it's straight like he's scoring goals every single night. I, I mean, look at what he's done right now. Every night he's been noticeable since he's been a part of the Blues, and it's just growing. So. To me, best-case scenario for Verona for your team next year is top six forward. Maybe he gets an opportunity with Thomas and Cairo, but wherever he plays, he needs to be in my top six because I want him on the ice because he can change the outcome of a game.
2: I agree with you there. I, I want to see him in the top six because he can't change. I mean, look at that goal last night where he just goes the length of the ice with yeah. a quick pass. Skated I mean, through three they, eyes. They don't have a guy like that outside of maybe Jordan Cairo uh, Otherwise, nobody else in the team can do that. He's got a good shot, as you mentioned, 19 shots in five games. Nobody else on the Blues no. maybe had that in a five-game stretch all season long. So I, I'm keeping an eye on that. And then, I, like you said, that one-timer, I want to see how he plays on the power play because if you can get those one-time options again, this power play, that was a major strength for this team. It, it makes up for some of those defensive lapses that they had last year when you look at the team. Last year they weren't that good defensively. They got better when they acquired Nick Letty. But how did they cope with dealing with that? One, they were better 5-on-5, and two, their power play was just great. Their power play was one of the best in the National Hockey League. So I want to see if he can mold into that uh, power play. And for me, that's kind of what I'm keeping an eye on this year. Next year, it will will be the bigger sample size, and then you can figure out whether or not he's trade bait or he's someone to lock up on a contract, as we talked about earlier.
5: If that one time appears by next year, It makes Tory Krug more useful, guys. I mean, Tory Krug has not been good this season. Defensively, he's been an issue, but even on the power play, you haven't been seeing him pick up points. Now, he had three points last night, a good game for him on the offensive side. But if you watch Tory Krug on the power play, he's teeing it up for both guys on both sides. The problem is nobody can do it. He's making the passes that he used to make to David Pasternak, but none of these guys are David Pasternak. If you could get one-timers on both sides, Tory Krug becomes a more useful piece for you next season.
1: From the 573, BK, you're comparing him to a more lethal version of Brandon Sod? Are you really saying that Sod is lethal in any significant way? Come on, man. Guys, I think we're underestimating <laughs> we what Brandon are. Sod is as a player. He's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but he's pretty darn good. I mean, Brandon Sod, here's what he's done in terms of his five-on-five goals over the last five seasons, This is including this year. 2018, 2013, he had that in 44 games back in the um, 2021 season. That was with Colorado. And then 16 goals last year at 5-on-5 for the Blues, 16 goals this year so far at 5-on-5. Is he a great distributor? No, he's not. Is he a guy that shows up every single night playing the way that you want him to? No, maybe not. But when you look at the back of his hockey card and you look at, okay, what does the goal production look like? Every year you're looking at it and you're seeing something around that 20 to 25 goal production. That's valuable. There is real value in that. Now imagine if instead of looking at the back of that card and seeing, okay, it's 20 to 25, maybe it's 25 to 30, and maybe 10 of those are coming on the power play where the Blues have really desperately needed that kind of production. That's what Jakub Varana I think, could be for the St. Louis Blues. He wasn't the only one with a big night last night, though. Alex, Pavel Bucinevich, the numbers that he's putting up this season for a bad team are nothing short of remarkable. He is now on pace this season in 64 games because he missed a decent chunk in like December, January for 28 goals, 75 points. And again, on a bad team, a plus 13 plus minus. I went back because I was curious. Okay, who are the – because he did this again last year. This is the second straight year where he's had at least 25 goals, at least 75 points, and was a plus 10 while he's been on the ice for the Blues. Who are the other Blues forwards that have done that? Tried to look up, okay, have any other Blues forwards done that in the last 10 years? Nope, not in back-to-back seasons. any Blues forwards done that in the last 20 years? Nope, not in back-to-back seasons. There's only been one Blues forward to post back-to-back seasons of 25 or more goals – 75 or more points and at least a plus 10 on the ice. You know who it was?
5: Gotta be Brett Hall.
1: It's Pavel Dimitra.
5: It was one of 99 the two. 2000.
1: <laughs> that was it. It's the only other guy to do what we're watching with uh, with Pavel Buchnevich right now. I just don't want it to go overlooked, what he is accomplishing, because I know it's happening for a bad team, but. God, he's one of the best all-around forwards in all of hockey right now.
5: And and this is coming from somebody who Pavel Dimitra was one of his favorite players growing up watching the Blues. Guys, Pavel Dimitra was a difference maker every time he stepped onto the ice. What Cairo was last year where you got excited when the puck was on his stick is what Dimitra was from 96 to 2004 when he was traded away or when he walked in free agency. I mean, you're talking about a guy who every season you expected 30 goals from him and probably somewhere between 40 and 50 points. It's an elite player, and you don't have to label it as an elite center or an elite winger. He's an elite player, and that's what Pavel Buchnevich is. That's the the fascinating part about this Blues team is what's the role moving forward because if their window is 12 to 24 months, which is next year, two years to be competitive again, that's going to be his walk year. Does the cap move up significantly enough for you to be able to re-sign Bucinavich? Can you move on from contracts that are long and probably don't need to be on your team to make sure? But if Pavel Bucinavich continues this trajectory... He honestly could be what Ryan O'Reilly was when you acquired O'Reilly for the 2018-2019 season.
1: Just in terms of the impact on the ice, all-around game, Absolutely. ability to play in any situation.
5: Yep. You need guys like Power that. Power play, penalty kill, 30-goal score, 50-75 points we're talking about here. Defensively, he's good for you. Maybe he's a centerman. Like he would be what O'Reilly was trying to get you over that next hump. So but the problem is you got to get to that competitiveness before you can say that, because if you're not there and it takes three to four years, then you're probably going to be trading away. Pavel you also
1: asked yesterday, you sent us in our text thread um, a story about how I think it was Nathan McKinnon steps up when the moments are the biggest for yeah. the Colorado Avalanche. He said, do the Blues have this guy on their roster? It might end up being Pavel Buchnevich. I think it will be. Now, we don't know that for sure because we've only seen him in the blue in a blues uniform one time in the postseason, and like, the goal-scoring production wasn't there, but he did have 11 points in 12 games last year in they the postseason. They were all assists. And it was, a, it was a big postseason for him. I, I do think that he might be the guy that ends up being able to raise his game to the next level when the moments matter because he does have that kind of fight. He does have that kind of mentality. So it, it might just end up being... Pavel Buchnevich, as much as we've talked about Kairou and Thomas as the guys that you're building around, I think Pavel Buchnevich might actually be the number one player that you're building around right now in St. Louis.
5: I, I believe he is. I believe the people you're building around right now, as much as you talk Kairou and Thomas, is Buchnevich and Bennington because those are the two pieces that you're always searching for to build a cup contender, a great goaltender, and an elite player. And then you build around that, and you have some pieces there, but maybe you're starting the foundation, the missing link, is that defenseman. That's the missing link.
1: Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We'll continue our countdown of the 20 most important Cardinals for the 2023 season coming up in about 10 minutes or so. The junk drawer is next here on 101 ESPN.
0: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up, the junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. To you by Fenton Bar and Grill, best-trusted wings in Missouri. Dine in, carry out, seven days a
5: week.
1: Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's dive into the junk drawer, Timon. What we got for us today,
2: guys? You know, Easter's not that far away, right?
5: Yeah, that's right. The bunny's gonna be coming soon.
2: That's right. And what's one of the big like attractions on Easter candy-wise?
5: Chocolate Reese's chocolate peanut bunny. butter, chocolate bunnies.
2: We'll get there eventually. Peeps, Peeps. try that's that's right. right. oh, marshmallow. Trash.
5: The worst.
2: I, I yeah. agree with BK. This is why this is even worse. Pepsi is selling a limited edition Peep. Pepsi, Ooh, that where might it be is, good. It, it's, it's marshmallow flavored Pepsi. Ooh, it's marshmallow, Marshm- it's like a marshmallow oh. soda. Ooh, that might I be don't good. know how I feel about it. What I mean, do you it's mean? Just you don't know how you feel about it. It's, well, terrible. it's just more
5: sugar in Pepsi. That's all it is. That's
2: why it might be good. That's what I'm saying. It but, might be good. But like, so I used to work at a soda shop, and we had flavors all over the did. place.
5: Only Illinois. We had a Walmart marshmallow and a was one of the flavors. Shop.
2: One of the best things that we made. One of our top sellers. One of my personal favorites was marshmallow tea. Come on down to
5: only Illinois. You get yourself a Sodi pop.
2: That's just you get yourself great.
5: a marshmallow soda pop.
2: A marshmallow soda, I could get behind that. I think, but I'm not a fan of peeps, so I don't know how I feel. I'm kind of conflicted. Tanner, I gotta I think ask
5: try you. This. I gotta ask you. Is it called Peepsy?
2: <laughs> That's ha- good, but no. I am so
5: I am so disappointed in myself that I didn't no, think it's of that. Just
2: peeps Pepsi.
5: God, Grant, you're a genius. Well, Peepsy
2: would be good. Peepsy. Peepsy. Don't Sometimes we it. have to
5: come up with things that just
1: aren't good. Like, we don't need certain flavors of ice cream. You don't need it. No. You know what? Certain stuff that doesn't have to be mixed together. There's certain potato chips that's what that I was gonna just say. don't
5: need to exist. The potato chip is the worst. Pepsi, it's good. No, it's not. Coca-Cola It's is good. good. Is code.
1: You can just go ahead and leave these things as is. We don't have to do
5: this for marketing reasons, for any other reason. We don't need the... The Peeps I version of Pepsi. It. Yeah, yeah but people, people aren't getting this for, for trying it. You're getting people that collect Pepsi cans. You know what we I should have do? The, the Peepsy. cans. We should do a blind test for T-Bone
1: of the regular Pepsi and the Peeps Pepsi, and let's find out if he can tell which one is which. Oh, Come you could totally tell. Yeah, you'd be able to you tell. Totally I don't know. Tell. We'll find out. I think you could. You'd be able to they, tell. What they might have done here is just put a new uh, wrapper around that what they it. do? It's the machine that wraps up the peeps. 100% trash. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll continue our breakdown of the NCAA tournament with the West Region, the game you're most intrigued to see. The most likely first round upset. It's all coming up in 15 minutes. But we continue our countdown of the 20 most important players for 2023 with number nine on our list for the Cardinals coming up next year on 101 ESPN.
0: We're right back to the P.K. and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And now, the 20 most important Cardinals for the 2023 season on P.K. and Ferrario. Number nine, Tommy Edmond
4: Lines it. Oh, what a catch. Tommy Edmund. Oh, my goodness. What a play. Edmund with a drive out to deep right. It is. It's a walk-off. The Cardinals were down to their final out, and they win it off the bat.
1: We continue our countdown of the 20 most important Cardinals for the 2023 season with number nine on our list. It is Tommy Edman. Alex had him at number nine. T-bone had him at number 10. I had him at number eight. We're right all around that same range. Tommy Edmond put together one heck of a season last year. 265 batting average was about 10% above league average. Played borderline gold glove caliber defense once again. And if he qualified for the utility infielder, I think he probably would have gotten it last year over Brendan Donovan. Alex, in a best case scenario, what does 2023 look like in your mind for Tommy Edman?
5: Very similar to what 2022 was, but maybe with a little bit higher of a batting average and a little bit better on base percentage. Tommy Edman, I I always view him as a leadoff hitter, but it's very inconsistent for him to maintain the leadoff hitter. So best case scenario for Tommy Edman is that the consistency steps back into play where he's fighting for a leadoff hitting spot because this was a guy the first chunk of the season and i know some people don't like the snap but he like was top three in major league baseball among war so with the defense that he provides which is going to be very very solid for you at shortstop and then on top of the bat where you get more consistency i'd love to see somebody who's hitting closer to like 280 285 best case scenario for tommy edmund and fighting for a leadoff spot
2: i couldn't agree with you more i think best case scenario is it's going to be Pretty similar to what it was last year. Maybe you see a bit of an uptick in the on-base. and maybe a little bit of an uptick in the slugging percentage. I think he's got some sneaky power. I mean, he had a career-high 13 home runs last year. And the other thing, and we talked about this, I think it was when we had Jason Stark on about a month ago. If these bigger bases lead back to the run in Redbird days, there's a chance Tommy Edmund, in the best-case scenario, has 40 doubles. 10 to 15 home runs oh and potentially 40 stolen bases ooh, so ooh. i think that's the best case scenario for tommy Edmond. you guys
1: mentioned consistency that's what i'm hoping for out of tommy Edmond this year is just be a consistent guy that i can expect to be the same player every day in your lineup there was a month last year it was the month of july where he was just abysmal to uh, below a 200 batting average for the month and a below 500 ops again for the entirety of the month he goes through these swings early on in the last season. You guys remember, we were talking about, do you extend Tommy Edmond? And the reason why is because he had a 900 OPS in the first month of the season. And then it dropped from there for in a significant way. 700 in the month of May, 700 in the month of June. July was a 500 OPS. Don't do that. Just be a little bit more consistent. Quit with these wild swings of what your OPS is going to be. I know that happens to a degree for everybody but the peaks and the valleys try to make it a little closer to the norm. The other thing is, you know, the old you go, we go thing that the Cardinals did and really the Cubs did with Dexter Fowler. It's kind of how it is with Tommy Edmond. Tommy Edmond and the Cardinals wins last year had a 310 batting average and an 850 OPS. Do you guys be curious what he did in the losses? I would be very curious. A 200 batting average and a 500 OPS. When Edmund was good, the Cardinals' offense was pretty darn good. When he was struggling, though, it was probably an indication that the entirety of the Cardinals' offense was struggling on that day. So the peaks and the valleys, it was a big issue for the Cardinals last year offensively. It was a big issue for Tommy Edmond. If there's a best-case scenario for him, it includes improving those valleys from where they were last year.
2: And I, I think to that point, too, and I, I think this was the issue they ran in with Paul DeYoung during the All-Star season where he really fell apart down the stretch – I think it's partially because they, he gets tired. Yep. And I think a big key for Tommy Edmond is one, continuing, as you said, just to avoid those big pe- or those big valleys. And, and I think the other part for the Cardinals is they're going to have to find ways to get him more time off, whether that means you got to play Paul DeYoung a little bit more and rely on him more, or move Brendan Donovan over to the shortstop, who's playing there some today as well.
5: Even better. Why not play Francisco Lindor to give him some days off? We'll see what that looks like. All right, the
1: worst case scenario. T-Bone, I'll let you start on this one. The worst case scenario for Tommy Edmond this year is what?
2: That everything kind of takes a downtick in terms of batting average goes down. I think that's a big part of why his on-base was at a career high when he's been a starter at 324 because I think if his average goes down, you'll see the on-base go down. You don't see the slugging there, and he becomes a below-average league hitter. He's only 8% above league average uh, last year, and I say only because that's still a really good year, but he's playing that shortstop position where it's a lot of power bats now across Major League Baseball. So I think the worst-case scenario, he's a below-league-average hitter, and the only thing he – He's hitting bottom of the order. He's not getting on base enough to steal those bases and kind of get that extra bag, and it becomes a bit of a problem for the St. Louis Cardinals, and he starts to feel the heat for Mason Wynn down in AAA.
5: Yeah, I would say worst-case scenario on the offensive side is the, the strikeouts become more of an issue. He had 111 last year, which was only six more than what he had the year prior, but you don't wanna, bad. You want you to see that continue to go up, but I don't think that will with Tommy Edmund. Is it odd that my worst-case scenario for Tommy Edmund is actually on the defensive side? Because I look at this and say, worst-case scenario for Tommy Edmund is shortstop, and every day shortstop becomes too much for him. Because we saw that at third base. He was third base for the while when Matt Carpenter was struggling, and it was fine, but then towards the end of that season, you'd say, yeah, he looked a little overwhelmed. That would be worst-case scenario for me if Tommy Edmund looks overwhelmed at some point this season at shortstop. i got to be honest,
1: my worst-case scenario for Tommy Edmond has very little to do with Tommy Edman and everything to do with those around him. I think the worst case scenario for Tommy Edmond is that he just gets passed on the Cardinals depth charts by guys that are, and this is not any of his own doing, just they have a higher upside than Tommy Edmond does as a player. You look at Nolan Gorman, there's 30-plus home run power there. You look at Brendan Donovan, the on-base percentage is really hard to ignore because of the way that he approaches every at-bat. Uh, you look at what they potentially have with a Mason win, it's basically a higher upside version of Tommy Edmond. He's got that same athleticism, he's got a better arm, and if you're looking for a guy that's getting a pretty decent on-base percentage, low, uh, or excuse me, pretty decent batting average, but a low on-base percentage, let me introduce you to Mason Wynn. I think the worst-case scenario for Tommy Edmond is that by no fault of his own, he's the same player as he has been over the last few seasons for the Cardinals. And they say at this point, late in the season, that's not good enough to start for us any longer. And in the offseason, the likelihood, in my opinion, would be the Cardinals look to potentially trade him because other teams will value him as a starting shortstop and maybe the Cardinals don't any longer. So that's my worst case scenario for Tommy Edmund. And that has little to do with him because I think we all know what Tommy Edman is. It's a really good player that you don't mind in your starting lineup every day. And for the Cardinals, the hope is that he bats ninth for you on a day to day basis basis alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson I'm Brandon Kiley you got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN we are broadcasting live from Max in downtown Alton where we will be set up for our show up until two o'clock and then the fast lane will be going from two to six out here in Alton we will be out here again tomorrow if you guys want to drop by we're watching the NCAA tournament we continue breaking down the NCAA tournament with the West Region breakdown coming up next here on 101 ESPN
0: we're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
1: All right, let's continue our breakdown of the NCAA tournament with the West region. So far, only one game in this region has tipped off. It is Kansas against Howard. By the way, uh, hoping that Bill Self's able to get himself healthy again. He is not coaching today for KU against Howard. KU up 15 to 10, about midway through the first in that one. But it is time for us to break this region down, Alex. We have broken down every other region. This is the final one that we've got today. What is the game? And this is the KU region with UCLA as a two-seed, and Gonzaga as a three. You got Connecticut as your four seed in this region. What's the game in the first round that you are most anticipating in the West region?
5: I mean, Illinois, Arkansas is intriguing when you get the eight, nine seed, but I also feel like that that one's kind of gonna be underwhelming. The one I'm most intrigued by is St. Mary's VCU because you're talking about a team, depending on the outcome of Arkansas, Illinois, they're gonna get shellacked by Kansas and UConn, Iona, St. Mary's VCU. That'll be a hell of a second round but I just don't know the strength of those two teams when it comes to them taking that next step against Yukon Iona and then if you see Kansas. I feel like Kansas is gonna shellack anybody, but St. Mary's VCU is an intriguing one for me.
2: The game for me it's it's the one that has the highest over under in the first round. Grand gone, Canyon,
5: baby. Grand
2: Canyon and Gonzaga <laughs> because God. I you know, I didn't I didn't fully I thought it was a down year for Gonzaga and then when I started reading up on them and looking more into their numbers, I was like wow, they're really good offensively. And then I, of course, didn't know anything about Grand Canyon, so I looked them up, (laughs) and they're really good offensively. So I think Grand Canyon has a chance to push Gonzaga, but I think it's going to be the best game. I think you're going to see these offenses going back and forth, and it may come down to the wire in the first round in that 3-14 matchup.
1: Yeah, I love the game that you're talking about, Alex. I'm going to pick a different one, but St. Mary's versus VCU is the one that I'm most interested in watching. I will say though, Arkansas versus Illinois is a fun game because it's two teams that have underperformed relative to expectations so far this year, and they're basically mirror images of one another. Neither neither of them are good shooting teams. Both of them are pretty good defensively, and they've got a little bit of size. So Illinois versus Arkansas is the matchup that I'm probably most intrigued to see. That one's tipping off coming up at four thirty. I cannot wait to watch Tanner Hendrickson, watch his team. Uh. He's going to start drinking early. What's the upset you guys are calling for? T-Bone, we'll start with you. What's the upset you think is going to take place in the West region in the first round?
2: So I, I do buy into what happens in the first four if you play well. And Arizona State dominated last night. I think they carry that momentum, and I think they surprise TCU. So I've got TCU on upset watch. I feel like every year there's always one team from the first four and it's not a 16 seed usually. But one of those 11 seeds that get in the first four, they build some momentum, and then they surprise the sixth seed. I think Arizona State's going to do that. I've got Arizona State taking down TCU.
5: Man, I hate the West region because, like, I've got chalk in every matchup in the first round. And I hate the fact that I did that. I think
1: uh, to that point, Alex, if you asked me what are your uh,
5: upsets in the second round, those are way easier to come up with, in my opinion, than they are in the first round. The first round's a little tough. First round, I I mean – you know, I have VCU, or I thought about taking VCU versus over St. Mary, so that would probably be one of them. Maybe Iona and UConn, but I feel no. like UConn's just the better team. And so, I mean, not to go this route, but it probably would be Illinois over Arkansas. And,
2: and I don't even know. It's upset. not an
5: upset, but that's the thing. Like, I've got Kansas taking down Howard. I've got Mary's taking down VCU. UConn over Iona. I do have Arizona State over TCU, but to the Tanner's point, And then I got Gonzaga, Northwestern, and UCLA. Yeah, if there's going to be an upset in this region, I think it's the one that Tanner mentioned.
1: Arizona State over TCU. I'm not picking it, but if there's going to be one, the 6-11 matchup is the one that I would probably go with. I hate this region. So I do agree with you there. I I like this region a lot. I just think it really heats up as you get to the second round and beyond.
5: I just never trust myself when I go chalk for every single matchup in the first round because I know that's the part that's going to be torn up. The next thing that we've got as we break down the West
1: region in the NCAA tournament is the sleeper team that could potentially come out out of this region so we're talking not a top three seed probably not a top four i will get us started here saint mary's is my team that i think can come out of this region i think the winner of that saint mary's yukon game will beat kansas in the sweet 16 so the winner of that game i've got and for me i think saint mary's is the one that has a real chance to be able to go on a run here as a non-top four seed
2: for me, it's Northwestern. I, I love that Northwestern basketball team. Maybe it's because they just play Illinois really well. But I, watching them well, – In I love case, Rock you,
1: fights, let me show you a team that you would enjoy yeah, watching.
2: North, I, I love the Northwestern team. I, I think they can kind of find a way. I've got them getting to the Sweet 16 before they lose to Gonzaga. But if Gonzaga gets upset, I could see where they get to the uh, Elite Eight because I think they're going to take down UCLA, who's dealing with injuries. I think they beat Boise State in the first round, and then it just comes down to are they going to run into that high-powered offense of Gonzaga. I think they're the sleeper team to potentially maybe not come out of the region, but get to the Elite Eight.
5: That's the one that I have, too. I have Northwestern taking down UCLA well, in the second round. UCLA has injury questions as well. That is something worth keeping
1: yep. an eye on. Uh, so going into that first round, they've got um, – A game that they should win, but Northwestern is definitely going to be a tough test for them. Who's the team that you're most confused by?
5: Alex, we'll start with you. UCLA. You look at it and you're like, I don't know. Could get out of there. Could lose in the first round. Wouldn't surprise me. UCLA, because of those injury issues, and they've kind of dealt with them all season, and, and you just wonder UCLA is a number two seed. I can absolutely see Kansas versus UCLA or at least UCLA versus Gonzaga in a Sweet 16, but on the flip side of that, I can also see UCLA, and I have them losing to Northwestern because of those injuries. So Can they overcome those? That's the biggest confusion I have with UCLA.
2: It's probably not good. The team that I have the most confusion about I've got going to the final four. And and that's Gonzaga. Because though they have that high-powered offense, it still feels like a down year, and it still feels like Gonzaga's going to Gonzaga and find a way to mess this up. So they're the team I'm most confused about. I I think they go on a deep run, but anywhere along the route that they go, I could see them losing. And the other team that confuses me, and they're not even high enough and worth talking about, it's Illinois. I don't know what the hell to expect from them.
1: is St. Mary's. I I mentioned I like them as a potential sleeper team. They also confuse me because they play at a very slow pace. They have a very excellent defense, and this is the exact profile that I hate in March. Agreed. Because if you play a slow-paced slog of a game, especially against a team like VCU that plays that aggressive style – uh, you're going to leave the game open for them. And if you don't end up capitalizing on your possessions, you can get upset in a hot second. We've seen that with Virginia. That's rough. just happened for them. They are right now in a very close matchup against Furman. That's the uh, game that we all said beforehand we liked mm-hmm. Furman in that one. It's only a five-point game right now with about, what, five minutes to go in that one. So uh, this is the style that can get you beat in march if you're not careful all right who is your team that you have coming out of the west region t-bone who, who do you have as the winner of the west region
2: they confuse me but i'm a sucker for offense it's gonzaga they can play with pace they can play offensively well. they've got experience with alex favorite player and drew timmy so I, uh, I, <laughs> I i i always go i lean towards teams that know how to score. I. I come up with the idea of either they're going to find a way to get stops or they're just going to outscore their problems. I think the Zags can do that. I've got them going to the final four.
5: Mine's Kansas, and I know Bill Self's not on the bench in this one uh, for their first round, but I I imagine Bill Self, uh, it's going to be that, like, ruckus where he steps through the doors in a game where you don't expect him to be there in the second round, and that vamps thing up. But on top of it, Jalen Wilson's been a stud this season for them. And when you need a basket, he makes it. I always seem to side with those types of teams when they have that player. Plus, I don't like Drew Timmy, T-Bone. So uh, I have Kansas going to the uh, Final Four. Kansas is so damn good. They man. are. I, I, I don't know how anybody
1: could say like there's no way that they end up making it through. I also have Gonzaga. It's that offense. They, they're the most efficient offense in the country, so that's why I've got them going, uh, advancing past the West region. My Final Four, I've got some mid-major – conferences that are well represented here
2: you're gonna say like a, a small conference it's like oh my gosh are you going oral roberts like no, no 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 hey
1: they didn't
5: make it to the final four oh, all right so my final four
1: is the gonzaga Elite. xavier marquette and alabama <laughs> I've Got alabama yeah, and gonzaga good. in the championship game with gonzaga winning it all alex who do you have in
5: your final four so i have houston kansas uh alabama and who did i have coming out of the east division Oh, I did have Oral Roberts. Oh, do you b- have Oral Roberts yeah. in the Final Four? I do. Uh, really? <laughs> this Are you this serious? bracket sucks. <laughs> well, I have Oral Roberts taking down Purdue in the Elite Eight, and then in the, uh, or I'm sorry, in the Sweet 16, and then I have them taking down Providence in the final, in the Elite Eight. Okay. So Oh God. I, I'm not that bold. This <laughs> stupid uh, bracket. I,
2: so, going into yesterday, I had Houston coming out of the Midwest. But the more I thought about it, you know, I got in my own head. I changed. It. I have literally the exact same Final Four as BK. I have wow. Alabama, Marquette, Xavier, and Gonzaga, and I've got Alabama taking down the Zags in the championship. Feel good
5: about three of my four.
2: Oral Roberts is one of the three. No, no. Oh, they're, they're. I won. don't.
5: I, I must have been drinking. I mean, why I, I not that. get?
1: A, I will say this: if you're in a pool, if you're in a bracket pool, and there's a ton of people in it. Something like what Alex did is probably a smart way to go about it because it opens up the possibility that if you are right, if you like genuinely believe Oral Roberts has a good chance to get there, you should go with it. Because then if you're right, man, everybody else is going to get that wrong, guaranteed. Now, What's if you're that? wrong, it just comes out and it goes chalk. Like yeah. a lot of people are going to have whatever
5: the chalk is coming out of it, the east, so it doesn't separate you at all. If they beat Duke. They'll easily walk away from the Tennessee-Louisiana game. And then you're talking about probably Purdue, maybe Memphis. I, I mean, it sets up pretty easy to get to the Sweet 16 if or the you've Elite. If you have upsets, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't, though, their path can become a lot tougher I, all of a sudden. Would they
2: be the highest seed to ever get to the Final Four? I asked that without knowing the answer. I think the highest is only been 12
5: seed, so maybe.
2: 11, I think. But I could be wrong. Because I know that year Michigan was a low seed. They got to the final four. They may have been a
1: nine. Uh, UCLA made it as an 11 seed in 21. Loyola Chicago, 11 seed in 2018. Yeah. VCU did it. George Mason did it. Do you remember that George Mason team at all, T-Bone? That was Not a fun really. team to, to, to watch. It's all right. Oral so there, there's be been a five th- 11 seeds. Uh, that have made it, but that is the lowest
5: seeded team to ever make uh, the Final well, Four. So see history.
2: Really, you're really going against the grain. I yeah, respect
5: Alex's Or Robert here. shouldn't be 12 seed anyway. It should be like a 90. Watch him get bounced in the first round. Our Ugh. big upset watch. It's starting early, ladies and gentlemen. Furman
1: is officially up against Virginia. It is a 57 to 54 lead for Furman, the 13 seed. They were a very trendy upset pick. And if you've been listening to this show on 101 ESPN, you are certainly for Furman to come away with that victory. Other scores that we have right now, uh, Maryland is back up 65-61 with about a minute and a half to go against West Virginia. Kansas is up by just two against Howard, 29-27, a little more than midway through the first half there. And then Mizzou right now clinging to a 33-31 lead against Utah State. That game started out up and down. And it has slowed down in a significant way. We are almost to the half in Sacramento, where Utah State is down by two against Mizzou. Coming up next, Tyler O'Neal making his case to be a significant part of the Cardinals lineup. What does that mean for the way that this lineup is going to be constructed? We'll discuss it next year on 101 ESPN.
0: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
1: With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley, it's BK and Ferrario, broadcasting live from Max in downtown Alton, Illinois. If you guys want to come on out, say hello to us, grab yourself a drink, watch some of this NCAA tournament action. We're having a good time. A lot of Mizzou fans in the crowd, which makes me very happy to say the least. The Tigers, so far, so good, up 35-31 at the half. We're rooting for more of that as we go along here today. So come on out, say hello out at Max in Alton. So, guys, Tyler O'Neal is now done with the World Baseball Classic. He's going to be heading back. His Team Canada did not advance. But he had one hell of a World Baseball Classic for Team Canada. He reached base in 13 of his 18 uh, plate appearances. He drove in four runs. He scored five runs. And when asked about his performance, he said, quote, I wish I came up more clutch in a couple of situations. I'm okay with it, I guess. I just didn't do enough for my team. That's the exact kind of mindset that I want to hear from Tyler O'Neill. first of all. heck yeah. And second of all, man, 13 of 18 times reaching base. I don't know who he was going up against in all of those plate appearances. Frankly, I don't care who it was because we see the same thing in spring training where we're making a lot out of guys that have put up pretty good numbers in spring training. We asked before the World Baseball Classic, how are you going to evaluate what O'Neal and Newt Bar do versus what Carlson and Walker are doing? Well, their truth is this. Newt has been great. O'Neal was great. Walker's been tearing the cover off of the ball. Dylan Carlson's just been okay. Honestly, all four of them in my mind have done enough to be a part of your outfield rotation come opening day. I think the starting three for me would be Newt, O'Neal, and Walker with Dylan Carlson on the outside looking in. But I think all four of them are going to be a significant part of the rotation early on in the
5: season. Yeah, welcome to internal competition. Three guys were great. One guy was okay. The three guys that were great started off, and then the guy that was okay continues to try and improve. That's what this is going to be. And I love that, frankly, because I would much rather have this then come into the season and say, well, Jordan Walker looked overwhelmed through spring training, so he's got to go back to Memphis, and your fourth outfielders, Oscar Mercado or Juan Yepes or uh, Alec Burleson, because that puts you in a worse spot. The worst guy out of these three, our four outfielders, being Dylan Carlson. We saw Dylan Carlson last season. For the first chunk before the injury kept stepped in, he was really good. He was the reason, and I know people are going to latch onto this like oh, crazy, yeah. but he was the reason that John Mozeliak stated they didn't want to go after a big trade and trade away Dylan Carlson because he was the future. That future is now your fourth outfielder. This sets up really well for the Cardinals to keep this internal competition up all season long.
2: Yeah, and it's great to see that all four guys have been playing well because at some point somebody is going to go cold, go through a cold stretch, whether it be... O'Neill, Newpar, Walker. Honestly, Walker's kind of cooled off a little bit here of late in spring training. And it's good to see that the four guys have had good springs. You know, I, I've seen improvements from Carlson from the right side, at least early on in spring training. It's been a pretty small sample size. But his numbers look pretty good. His OPS is higher than it was last year when it's going up against right-handed pitching. Again, small sample size so far. But I, I like what I've seen from him. It's 881 OPS against right-handed pitching. So it's good to see an internal competition and nobody's, I guess somebody's losing because somebody's not going to be the starter on opening day, but it doesn't feel like such a massive loss where it's like, oh, man, I can't believe we've got to send somebody down or, oh, man, that guy's clearly not going to be an option for us. No, you feel really good with all four, and honestly, leaving spring training, I'm okay with that. Fine Say you know, we're just going to rotate through these four guys, and when one guy gets hot, we'll put him in pen for a while, and if one guy gets cold, he'll just sit for a little bit, but I've been happy with all four outfielders so far here in spring training, and especially what Tyler O'Neill did at the Base- World Baseball Classic.
1: Speaking of the World Baseball
5: Classic, guys, did you watch Team USA last night against Columbia? Yep. Did you see any of that? Well, I didn't watch the whole thing, but I saw the part that you're referencing, and that's... um. Edwin Diaz celebrating. Nope, that was a different game entirely. Oh, okay. Well, I wasn't watching then. The
1: St. Louis Cardinals might really have something in Guillermo Zuniga. Now they've already optioned him down to the minors. He's or not going to start the season with the the big league club. But man, he was throwing 98 last night against the against Team USA. And I Freudian slip said against the Cardinals because he went up against Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado. Struck out Mike Trout, then struck out Paul Goldschmidt. Both struck out swinging and then got Nolan Arenado to weakly ground out to first base to end the inning. He'll be sent down because he pissed off Goldie and Arenado. I don't know what the future holds for Guillermo Zuniga. I don't know if he's ever going to be a quality big league level pitcher. But the stuff that he has shown so far, the slider plus the 98-mile-per-hour fastball, what they are looking for from Wilking Rodriguez, you're seeing a lot of that in Guillermo uh, Zuniga as well. I think he's going to impact the Cardinals' bullpen and will do so sooner rather than later. And I want to connect it to something else, if you guys don't mind, for a moment. Can I put my tinfoil hat on for you? I'll allow it. So the Mets, you mentioned Edwin Diaz, lost Edwin Diaz for the season last night when he was celebrating after their big win.
5: They now need a
1: closer. Are
5: you going to trade Guillermo Zuniga over to him? Would you consider trading Jordan Hicks? Yes, I would. Uh, Jordan Hicks hasn't – Jordan Hicks has not given me the confidence this season to say he's a main piece of my bullpen. But if you
1: trade Jordan Hicks, he's won it. Like, as much as he doesn't give you a ton of confidence, he's shown he can do it before. We know what to expect out of Jordan Hicks. He's going to get a ton of ground balls. The strikeout rate's not going to be as high as you'd like it to be, and there's going to be a little more walks than you want. But more often than not, he gets the job done, and he's been in high-pressure situations before. There's value in Jordan Hicks. But we're starting to see some positive signs on Wilking Rodriguez. I know, I know, I know. But Drew Verhagen's had a pretty good camp so far, and Ali Marmol seems really happy with him. Zach Thompson's put together a really good camp. You've got this Guillermo uh, Zuniga that's down in the minors right now. You've got other options that are down in the minors as well. Do you have enough depth that you could make a move
5: like that and feel good about it if you're the card, I guess the question is, what am I getting in return for a Jordan Hicks? A fair question. Am I, getting, I don't know. Am I going to get another arm for my bullpen that's in their AAA team? Because then I would consider it. Because if I've got Rodriguez and Zuniga and Jake Woodford, who's pitching well, and all of these guys who deserve to be in there, and I'm going to get something in return that goes to AAA that can compete to be there maybe later in the season or next season... I'd pull the trigger, but I'm not going to trade him for a guy that has no role on my team. Like, you don't need a bench middle infielder or a bench outfielder. If you get a pitcher that you see upside in, I'd pull the trigger on because Jordan Hicks, is he's gone through a lot these last few years, and unfortunately, it hasn't worked in his favor.
2: Yeah, I, would I do it for the right offer? Yeah, I would because I right now his role, he has a role in the bullpen, but I'm not quite sure what it is. I think it is just kind of the middle relief innings right now to look at him. I mean, Rodriguez has been better. Thompson has been better. I think those are going to be the guys that are going to be kind of splitting that seventh inning. And if Zuniga is for real, he's going to be a guy that's going to be fighting for that. And though Jordan Hicks does throw hard, his stuff doesn't seem to be playing. He's not getting the swing and miss. And he's been erratic, and he continues to be erratic. He's been erratic in spring training. So for the right offer, would I be willing to move him? Yes. What would they want in return? It probably would be another probably project bullpen piece. That's yeah. probably, it's probably even lower than A. It's probably like a AA guy that they see something that they think they can tweak and make him into an elite reliever. But I, would I be open to it? Yes. I, I don't think he's been that impressive. And honestly, he's been kind of disappointing ever since he's had Tommy John, which is just kind of sad to say about Jordan Hicks because when he first got called up, he looked awesome. It
1: also opens up flexibility because you're not sending Jordan Hicks down. Agreed. You're not optioning yeah. him down to the minors. You, there's no reason to do so. If you're going to get rid of him, like you trade him for something. And so the flexibility that it opens up, I do think it is worth a little something as well. We do have our first final in the NCAA wow. tournament as Maryland nearly has just defeated too. West Virginia. They end up winning that one by two. I had to hold on. There was a, yeah. a decent look from three, it was deep, but just about a half court heave by West Virginia at the end of the Will. game. Ends up falling short. Maryland is the first team to advance in this year's NCAA tournament. Want to know, boys? 1-A-2, 1-0. Oh. We're all 3-1-0 no. so far Not this to be 1-1 if
5: um, Virginia blows this.
1: Coming up next, we'll hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast,
5: presented
0: by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the Bagel Loan, featuring zero fees and
5: zero closing costs.
1: Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. And we have our first significant upset of the NCAA tournament. Furman with an unbelievable finish against the University of Virginia. If you didn't watch the finale on that one, you should go back and see the highlights. Virginia was trapped in the backcourt. A guy makes a silly pass trying to heave at the full court. Furman able to steal it right about at half court. Pushes it up and ends up getting a pretty open look from three. They end up winning 68-67. We have had a fantastic start to the tournament so far. Two big games already final. Maryland beating West Virginia 67-65. Furman taking down Virginia 68-67. And we put them
2: on up, upset watch at like 11:15 this morning. We said keep an eye on that Virginia game. And as much crap as I gave Gonzaga earlier by saying the Zags are going to zag and somehow find their way out of the tournament, Virginia does it a lot too. Virginia always comes in as a high seed. This pace that we talk about, playing slow, allows team to stay in games. They never pulled away from Furman. I think their biggest lead was 10 or 12. While Furman to climb back into that game, and they're going down.
5: It's a sad day in the Ferrario household, you know, because you like, you, like, you like to start off 2-0, and get yeah. that good feeling. You don't want that first loss until about 3 o'clock. Um, but uh, it comes early, boys. Good for Furman. No, that, that's a fun start to the
1: tournament, right there. Guys, getting a, the first big upset of the no, day. Guys' this dreams a, are ruined today. This
2: is a no, true question. It's
1: Virginia. They play regressive uh, basketball. I yeah. hate Virginia? I, true question. Uh, where's, for,
2: where, where's that school located at? Because I have no idea. Let's find out. Furman Fur- is
1: Furman in Carolina?
5: I feel I, like all of the basketball I, schools. Furman are in I have no idea. I We're really taking don't. it to the Google, ladies and gentlemen. It is in Greenville, South Dang. Carolina. Always. Oh, if, I've if, been if there's a
1: basketball school that you've never heard of, they're probably located Let's in one of North South Carolina. The bigger,
5: the bigger victory today is that West Virginia was sent home so that we don't have to hear the the West Virginia. Oh, man. Country roads is dead I now. I should have picked them for that Country reason Country roads is dead, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks, right. Maryland. We
1: got about 10 minutes left before we hand things off to Anthony Stalter. Alex Ferrario will pull in a double today. He's going to be with you guys until 6 o'clock here on 101 ESPN. By the way, we're broadcasting live at Max in downtown Alton. It's a great time to be had out here. We've already got a pretty full crowd, and everybody was going nuts as Furman made that incredible three-point shot. Let's go through some of the games that are yet to be tipped off. You do right now have Mizzou up 35-31 at the half. Kansas is up 50-37. to I told T-Bone about 10 minutes ago.
2: Save me $5. <laughs> I
1: was planning to put some money on Kansas at the half on the, uh, on the spread because that game was about a two-point margin about literally 10 minutes ago in real time. K, you pulled away too quickly before I could get in on that one. Uh, the next big one that's going to be tipping off is at about 15 minutes or so with San Diego State against Charleston. San Diego State is a five-point favorite in that one. T-Bone, I know you like Charleston as a potential upset candidate there. You still feel that way.
2: Yeah, I do. I, I think Charleston's a really good basketball team, and I, I think they've got a chance to push San Diego State. I think it's going to be close if you're for for gambling advice. I would say take Charleston to cover the spread. I do have San Diego State just getting past them. But don't be surprised if you see a 12-13 matchup because the winner does get Furman. Don't be shocked if the College of Charleston surprises San Diego State. Early
3: in that
1: game, if you're going to end up betting live over on the FanDuel Sportsbook, what I would watch is who's dictating the tempo in that game because San Diego State plays very slow. They want to slow the pace down. They want to grind it out. They want to play in like the 60s. Meanwhile, it's the opposite for Charleston. Charleston plays at one of the fastest tempos in all of college basketball. They want this game to be played in the 70s or potentially even the 80s. Depending on which tempo ends up being the pace of the game early on, I would bet on that team. That's a game that I I don't have a great feel for, honestly. So I'm going to try to live bet that one. Uh, Later on today, Illinois versus Arkansas. T-Bone, I want to get your thoughts on this one because your Illini are in action and they're a a one-and-a-half-point underdog against Arkansas. What's your level of confidence in this one?
2: I would say 50-50. I I do think this is a toss-up game. Of course it is. I mean, it's an 8-9 seed. It's going to be interesting. You know, when when we watched Arkansas play Missouri, why were they able to take down Missouri? It was because they are able to get on the offensive glass. If Illinois can limit that, I think the Illini win. It's probably not going to be pretty. I would not take the over in this game because neither team can really shoot the ball. So it's just going to come down to who's going to get on the glass. The glass is going to determine this game. I do think Illinois will edge out Arkansas. I, I do think they're going to win.
1: Alex, your favorite team in this entire tournament Oral is Roberts. Oral Roberts. Let's You've go. You've got everything riding on Oral <laughs> yeah. Roberts in this one. It's a 6 o'clock tip for them against Duke. Duke is only a 6-point favorite, so you're not crazy for picking Oral Roberts. They are a trendy upset team. They're 30-4 and four on the season. What's your level of confidence that they're going to be able to get the job done today, though? 70-30
5: okay. because Duke's Duke, and we all know how that goes. Like, they're a team – I just – uh, the reason I went Oral Roberts there was just because Duke, I, I felt like they kind of limped into the the uh, the tournament, and Oral Roberts didn't, and I think that plays into something a little bit with this. But I also just look at that path. That is the easiest division or easiest region I feel like that a team can win. And you go on a little bit of a hot streak, I think Oral Roberts can do that.
1: The game that I might have had more difficulty picking than any other, strangely enough, was Texas A&M versus Penn State. That's a late game tonight on TBS. Oh, take Penn State. I, I, I hate Penn State. I don't know on either of them. <laughs> I, like I, Penn State has the best player that will be on the floor. Texas A&M was one of the most impressive teams that I watched this year, though, given what the expectations were for them coming into the season. I do think that whoever wins that game has a real chance to be able to advance past Texas, though. I know Texas is very good, but I think both of those teams could potentially advance past Texas. Is there another game that we haven't mentioned yet, T-Bone, that you have your eye on that you're like, man, I I think this one's going to be at a minimum compelling for people that are watching.
2: I've got it as an upset game, and it is late tonight as well, 940, I believe, Eastern. It's the Louisiana-Tennessee game. Tennessee's missing one of their best players, and I think that's going to be crucial. Unlike uh, UCLA, who's missing a player, they're a 2-seed, a 15-seed. Typically, you should take care of business. Once you start getting into that 11-12-13 range, that's where you really start to see those upsets. I've got Louisiana taking down Tennessee. I'm fascinated to see how that goes because I think Tennessee's going to struggle without their best player. Alex,
1: any other games tonight
5: that you've got your eye on? UCLA, are, are they tonight or are they tomorrow? They're tonight. Th- that's the one for me because it's the uh, latest game to tip tonight. L- oh, good. I'll be up for that one. <laughs> probably. And what time's Oral Roberts play? Uh, they play at like 6. So you're oh, gonna be perfect. Prime be, time for me to have night time Right after that. you get off the air that's with right. Anthony Stoltz. But UCLA, I, I actually think that a 15 seed could take down a UCLA in that first round. I think that's going to be probably the most compelling one for me to watch because I really am curious how much those injuries play into their first round matchup. It's going to be a lot of fun. The
1: NCAA tournament is the absolute best to watch. If you missed any of our show today be sure to check it out on the podcast page 101ESPN.com. The free 101 ESPN app is where you can go to find it. It's all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. I'm going to go spend the next hour and a half or so watching this Missouri game just hoping crying praying that this goes in our direction. It is a close one. Alex will have you for the next four hours alongside Anthony Stalter coming up on the Fastlane live from Max in downtown Alton, Illinois here on 101 ESPN.